0: Hey, this is JD. I'm here with Vicki Rowe, owner of gotmead.com and AJ Ermans, an accomplished wine and mead maker. Tonight, go, uh, let me see if I can get this right. Go enjoy choice foods, sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Brian DeGraw from 810 Meadworks joins us and he'll explain what all that means later on tonight. Update on the Pumpkin Pie Project. And hey, get your phone ready. Oscar joins us again live here tonight on Got Mead Live. So grab your glass of mead and your phone. Got Mead Live starts in less than 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, that was the fastest 30 seconds uh, in the record book so but anyway here we are. Um, welcome to God Mead live. Uh, right off the bat. Uh, got to get a, a shout out or two out of the way. Um, I, I was cruising you know I've, Vicky and AJ for the last couple of shows they've, they've pretty much educated me on this whole Got Mead form or uh, God Mead Facebook group thing. Uh, and so I'm, I believe I've got it all straightened out now. So
1: yeah, the the, the, the the trick is to know that the ones that are for Got Mead are called Got Mead. Got me. <laughs> yeah. Not just Mead. Not just Mead. Yeah.
2: If it doesn't I say always, Got Mead, it isn't. It,
1: it isn't. Yeah. Right. Except no substitutes. Um, but seriously, no. <laughs> there's a lot of really great groups out there. But yeah, we do have a Facebook page and a yes, group.
0: Absolutely. And uh, today I was cruising through the Got Mead group on Facebook. Uh noticed a post by Justin Waltz. Uh, he's a beekeeper, and he says uh, he's going to attempt to uh, make his first mead and was wondering what would be the best and easiest mead to make for his first time. Of course, I put up easy. Uh, it's been drilled into me by a guy whose family has been making wines not just for years but for centuries. Uh, you know, try a uh, traditional, just uh, honey, yeast, and water. But uh, AJ, uh, you put something else in the notes.
2: Well, of course, you can try a, a Joe's Ancient Orange because you don't need a lot of supplies, and the results are relatively drinkable, relatively quickly. So you don't have to wait a year for your traditional to be better. There you yeah, go.
1: and that's the thing. I mean, the JAO is low cost to entry, easy to make and almost guaranteed to be pretty darn good, if not awesome. So, so it's a really good, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't kick you in the teeth if it doesn't work out, you know I mean? It's there. It's unlikely to do that if you follow the directions, but on the other hand, like Pete always says, you know, if you learn to make a really awesome traditional, everything else is pretty easy, you know, because in a traditional, if you can do that, well, there's no place to hide in a traditional. You're putting it all out there, you know, and, and, but they're not hard to make if you follow good fermentation practices like, you know, I mean, and, and that's that kind of information is readily available. So
0: it didn't dawn on me until I saw it in the notes there. and I know who put it in there and, uh, you know, because I have been paying attention and listening to Oscar and it's just been drilled into me. Traditional, traditional, traditional. Mm-hmm. Start with that first. So, yeah, uh, what are we drinking here tonight, Vicky?
1: Well, I'm polishing off. I thought I had finished the San Francisco Meadery apple pie, but much to my joy, I found a third of a bottle of it left, so it's going to go bye-bye tonight. (laughs)
0: There you go. And, AJ, uh, explain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm drinking mystery mead that I checked in a scotch bottle. It was dregs from another batch, and I'm not sure which one, but it turns out it wasn't very nice, so I've topped it off with uh, the raspberry ancient um, mead that I made a while ago to make it drinkable. Cause it was pretty awful. <laughs> and By God, we're going to drink it, aren't we? <laughs> by God, I'm going to
1: waste it. mead. Uh-uh,
2: no, uh-uh, Honey's no, way no, too bloody no. expensive to waste that.
1: That's it too. Well, I'm
0: drinking, uh, I, I have a bottle of redstone and I've got to get over to my mother load of mead and get another supply. Uh, I'm drinking a redstone meadery Pinot Noir. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have a name. It's just, um, It's in this blue bottle uh, with the uh, Redstone metery label, and it's honey wine with Pinot Noir concentrate. And I've been been drinking a short glass of this. I I can't drink a whole lot of alcohol late at night because that's when I take my meds. But I do have a glass of this uh, a couple hours before that. I I really like this. This is a very good, you know, late night, night nightcap, I guess, if you will. Uh, and I'll, I'm going to pick up another bottle. Um, it, it's really, it's, it's not real sweet. It's on the dry side, which I, I tend to like more. Uh, and it's very good. So, But uh, with that being said, welcome to Got Me Live here on a Tuesday night. Uh, certainly want to push the, and, you know, and if you haven't noticed, uh, we were just talking about this before we fired up here tonight. Uh, Vicki's doing a lot of work on the form on the website. Of course, the, the new website is up and running paint still wet, but the form is also being, uh, worked on as well. So please don't touch the door jams.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. We've got, uh, I want to give a shout out to Bill Stelling. He's probably listening right now. He is a guy I actually just sort of stumbled over accidentally uh, in another place. We got to talking about something that was going on uh, with the forum software, and he's kind of a guru on the forum. And we got to talking offline. Turns out he's also kind of a guru with creating the themes, the look and feel. And so he's actually doing A whole brand new custom one of a kind theme for Got Mead. And uh, that's going to do the forum theme. And then we're going to tie that into the site theme so we have a nice overall uh, consistent look and feel. So I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to take a while because uh, Bill's got like a regular job that he does. (laughs) This is something that he does on the side, but he's pretty talented. And I've been looking under the hood as he does it because I've got, you know, I can go and look at the the non-active theme and it's looking pretty sharp so i think you guys will like it but yeah thanks bill and uh yeah check is in the mail dude
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely uh really i mean it's it really starting to show and uh I, i'm really proud of the fact that uh uh you know we've got this uh live show going on on tuesday nights the, the whole got me live thing coming together with the new website uh, really awesome work there vicky um and you can become a patron member. Uh, and I have harped on this every single show and I can't say enough about it. Uh, if you really are serious about getting into making this mead, uh, there's a whole other flip side of the forum. It's called the patron member side and you can gain access to that for right now for 25 bucks a year. And of course the year is almost over with, but it, there's a whole lot more information, uh, you know that's available to you and as much as i'm learning about making mead uh you know i i have the patron access and i'm working on some meads i'm working on a traditional it's my very first and i'm really really proud of it because it's coming along very nicely this is a recipe an award-winning recipe uh and this is what you get when you pay the twenty-five bucks a year, and of course that twenty-five bucks that goes to help uh, pay the expenses that gotme.com dot as well, right?
1: Yeah, yes, it does. And, and right uh, now, right now, it's all going to pay bill. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. yeah, for for now and for quite a while in the future, it's probably going to be going to pay bill because uh, <laughs> good work is not cheap. So yeah,
0: <laughs> no, it's not and you know if, this
1: is if, this is actually in twenty years of running this site, the first time I have ever contracted out any work for the site ever
0: uh, yeah and you know if, if you want a top notch uh, uh, you know place of business which is what GodMe.com is I mean it costs money to uh, to get it to that uh, level so
1: yeah well I'm sure uh, there's people out there going well we noticed that you never farmed anything out Vic you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, Facebook of course uh, all you gotta do is just type in Got Me, and it'll take you right there Twitter uh, at got me now ask Oscar uh, you know you can just go to the gotmead.com website click on the radio link and I think it's right below that Vicki is there another mm-hmm. uh, just put your
1: mouse over the radio link and it's right there underneath
0: yeah and fill out the form and please be as complete answer all of the questions uh, because it's really really hard for Vicki and Oscar to try to guess the you know what's between the lines what you didn't put in and uh, you know many times uh, you know questions will go on the bottom of the pile or you know if not they'll just won't be in the pile at all uh you know if, if you don't be as complete as you can the call-in number as always 818 if i get your pencils and paper out 818 put this on your speed dial
1: Smartphones. Uh, if y'all haven't got uh, smartphones, how come you don't have
0: one? Smartphone. 818 921 4680. 818 921 4680. We want to hear from you. The show links, of course, on the gotme.com website. Just <laughs> click on that radio page up there. It'll take you right there. If you're mobile, you can take us with you. You can uh, take us uh, with you. Yeah, you can download the app for both iOS and Android devices from tunein.com. Replays of every show are always available on gotmead.com on soundcloud on itunes on stitcher radio you know what just go to google and type in gotmead live and yep. uh, it'll take you somewhere <laughs> so yeah. but uh with that uh we're gonna step away when we come back brian degraw sit tight Mead, located in the heart of North Carolina, specializes in wine-style meads of varying sweetness level. With a menu that usually includes 16 different flavors and featuring local North Carolina honey, there's always something new to try. Whether you like a drier mead that mimics a red or white wine, or something sweeter with fruit or herbs, starlight mead has got you covered. Come in for a tasting, Starlight Mead Artisan Winery and Tasting Room is located at 480 Hillsborough Street, Suite 1000, Pittsburgh, North Carolina at Chatham Mills. This historic label mill complex is located just north of downtown Pittsburgh on 15501, two miles south of Highway 64 Bypass, or order a bottle from VinoShipper.com. Either way, Starlight Mead hopes to surprise and delight you. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a supporting member For the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, bee nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries, to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee nectar makes meads, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at bee nectar.com. That's bee nectar with a K.com. And we are back live here on Got Mead Live for a Tuesday night. And uh, 810 Meadworks, this is a small meadery in Medina, New York. They have some big flavors they'd like you to try. 21 Beans Salute offers the aroma of a rich, earthy, cold brew coffee with the sweetness of honey and creamy vanilla and Liquid Sunshine, a carbonated lemon lavender mead made with wildflower honey and green tea. For more information about their tasting room and mead list, visit them at 810meadworks.com today. And ladies, just recently they were given a pretty respectable score, 17 out of 20, at ratebeer.com for their 21 bean salute. Our guest tonight, Vicki, is Brian DeGraw, owner of 810 Meadworks in Medina, New
3: York.
1: Hey, Brian. Welcome to the show, man.
3: Thank you. It is Medina, by the way. Medina. Uh, Medina.
1: (laughs) That's that's like, yeah, that's like it's spelled Bahama here, but it's pronounced Bahama. Thank you very much.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a common, common thing. So um, don't feel bad.
1: All right. (laughs) So you guys are what, over by Niagara Falls then?
3: Yeah, we're about um, just about an hour to Niagara Falls, maybe a little bit less. Um, it's primarily a farming community out in this area, but we're also a member of wine trail, uh, that stretches from Niagara Falls all the way to Rochester. Nice. Uh, It's 22 wineries and we're, we're one of those.
1: This is a good thing.
3: Yes. Yes. And they're glad to have us as a meadery. Um, we don't make any traditional wine. We don't even make any cider. Everything we make is honey based and, um, they're, you know, glad to have a little bit of variety on the trail.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. A man can only drink so many Pinot Noirs before it's time to switch up. That's true. Yeah. Very very true. So um, so you guys have been open what eight eight months now? Uh,
3: ten, 11 ten months. Eleven months. Next month. Um, okay. Next month will be our one year anniversary. So we're about six weeks away from that, and um, it's it's been an interesting year. It's been fun, and I'm really excited to see what year two brings. Um, we we intentionally kept things fairly small this year and really didn't do any advertising. The, the wine trail is advertised for us, and that's really been the only uh, exposure that we've gotten outside of um, you know our own Facebook page or word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at that, we've we've exceeded expectations and sales this year, um, and things have gone a lot better for us than we anticipated.
1: Nice. So you guys are mainly just serving out of. the you're not at the point where you're, are you putting stuff in stores yet or?
3: No, um, we, we were asked by a couple different places and I really just don't have the production to commit um, to supplying them with too many things. Um, more of most of our more popular things, which I would want in a store sell out in the tasting room here. So it's kind of difficult to, uh, give a, a portion of my product to somebody else when I have loyal customers that consistently come in here looking for specific products. Um, yeah. we, we are currently looking to expand production in a new new facility, um, and that that should actually move a little quicker than I had originally anticipated, um, so hopefully that, that happens, and by the spring we should have at least a double uh, production capacity and uh, size right now that we have.
1: Nice. Where are you? Is it okay to ask where are you at production level lies right now?
3: Um, we we primarily do fifty gallon batches, but I do have one five barrel conical uh, plastic conical fermenter that I put our mo- most popular product in, uh, and I try to keep that full uh, or at least uh, mostly full. Um, But then everything else is in 50-gallon fermenters. I have um, 50-gallon plastic uh, drums that I put drum liners in. makes cleanup Mm -hmm. really easy. Uh, And then that stuff gets transferred into stainless for aging, depending on how long it's going to sit there and clearing. Um, And I think we have nine nine, nine or ten stainless, and um, we have eight plastic. Uh, And just about all of them are full right now.
1: Okay. What's your... um For honey, are you going local, or are you uh, having to branch out?
3: We source 100% of our honey from a local apiary. They're about 15 or 20 minutes away from here, and they have 20-some-odd varieties of honey. They do a lot of uh, varieties, and they they can't supply us with that many. Um, But right now, we've been using like six or seven different varieties from them
1: cool I'm assuming that uh, at, at the size level you're at now you're you're getting five gallon pails or are you up to buying barrels yet
3: uh it's getting close to, to barrels um, the building that we're in right now would make barrels just a, a, a serious problem and really difficult <laughs> um, I mean the production room is, is only uh, 400 square feet uh, those stainless barrels I mentioned are actually stacked on top of each other 10 feet in the air um, just to, to you know there's there's 14-foot ceilings in the building, but I only have 400 square feet of floor. So right. getting a drum of honey in there would just be too difficult. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the apiary delivers the honey for us, and when I mentioned a drum to him, he's like, well, well, how, how are you going to get it inside the building? I was like, I don't know. That's your
4: job. <laughs> he like,
3: well, here's what I'll tell you. I'll keep carrying buckets in, and when you get somewhere I can drive a truck up and we can wheel it off, then I'll bring you a drum. Very so, uh, good. The, the the new new uh building uh if it works um will will probably get a drum uh in there in the spring for or at least a couple of drums
1: nice well and and, and now are you guys when you do that are you going to are you going to get a uh, a pump i've 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 heard from a bunch of people the people doing it you know getting out of the pail by hand and or out of the barrel by hand and then there's people who just can't live without that pump you know
3: yeah um i talked to the apiary about it they don't use a pump right now um, so prob- he has like a cart that you tilt it with and I'm probably going to go with that at first until I can justify spending the money on a pump uh, and who knows how much of a disaster t- tipping a, a 600 pound barrel over will be um, <clears throat> oh know, I don't see that. any
1: problems at all with that yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> health department just wait just wait let me shovel up this honey <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that would be a disaster of epic proportions.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've dumped a bucket on the floor before, which is, you know, that sucks because that would yeah. have just got dumped on the floor that has to go down a drain. But, um, yeah, and that always kills me. So we haven't we haven't dumped a bucket on the floor in, like, too many months, and I'm going to have to knock on wood. Cause I was just going to say, yeah, better...
1: <laughs> better better do yeah. something about that or it'll happen tomorrow when you're putting in another batch.
3: Yeah, I plan to make two batches tomorrow, so <laughs> now I'll make a big mess, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. So what are you you have got the lavender lemonade and yes, that, you've got That the, was actually
3: a summer seasonal, so we okay. don't currently have any of that. I do I do have six cases that I'm holding uh, that we're going to release in December when we go with our national shipping or at least 20, 20 state shipping
1: oh, nice. um, line. Mm.
3: Um, so, those six cases will be available for that. And the other thing with those six cases, we've, we've been packaging our carbonated meads and the, the liquid sunshine, the lemon lavender is a carbonated uh, yeah. at 9%. Um, that we've been packaging that in 12 ounce or 375 milliliter um, beer bottles, uh, Belgian. Belgian-style beer bottle, so it is a 3.75. We're actually going to 7.50 champagne amber bottles uh, for all of our carbonated meats that Ooh. sell. The, the ones that sell better will be going to 7.50. So the Liquid Sunshine, uh, like I said, I have six cases that I'm I'm saving for December 1st when we go live with 20-state uh, shipping through Vino Shipper. Huh. Um, I
1: will and, uh, you know, mark that on my calendar. <laughs>
3: yeah, and that, that really uh, was a, a huge seller for us in the summertime. Uh, and I really I noticed, I went to quite a few farmers' markets and offsite events, and I noticed that if it was above seventy five degrees, I was guaranteed to sell two cases of that at an offsite <laughs> event. If it was below oh, seventy five degrees, I struggled to sell a case. So hmm. it, it really is not something that does well for us when it's cooler, um, but we have our, our Scarlet A, which is a, a blueberry honey with apples and cranberries, and that Ooh. sells great in the colder months, uh, you know, Yeah, so it's a really good uh, sizer.
1: It sounds like you're into different, unusual, whatever you want to call it, flavor combinations, because I see you've got the pineapple cucumber as well, so... Yeah. Talk to me about that. Where are these ideas? Okay, at, at the risk of sounding like a like a like a book hound and asking where do you get your stories? Where do you get flavor mixtures ideas?
3: Um, I, I can't take credit for all of them. I, I I do make all the mead, but the like the pineapple cucumber was a friend who was juicing, and that was his favorite juice combination. And I thought it was a terrible idea. Uh, so he hounded me to make something like that for a while, and then finally I decided. Uh, I had to do it because he gave me honey and he gave me, you know, the, the ingredients. So I finally did it and it and it turned out to be actually very good. So uh, that's something that we brought on board here. That was something that I didn't make. Um, I mean, the first time I made it was like probably about eight months before we opened our doors here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so we were in the planning stages, but he just felt like it was something that would work for us. Uh, and it's really unique. It's, it's not one of our better sellers uh, because it is very dry. Uh, and but it's very crisp and it's it's really cucumber forward so you really need to like dry wine and you really need to like um cucumbers and that's yeah. really the the people who buy it um and the people who buy it really love it so it, 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 that's another one too that's that's a much better seller in the in the summer since it's gotten colder yeah. we we sold as much of that
1: yeah, I wouldn't see that as as being more you know a winter popular thing. Um, we mm-hmm. just got a question in from uh, from Twitter, and it's from Sergio at Melavino. Oh. Yeah, and Sergio says, Brian, how are you bottling all your carbonated product
3: <laughs> um, with a with a Blickman beer gun?
1: <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> yes. Um, That's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, it's uh that's that's part of the reason why we have a difficult time tonight. So Yeah, but I, I actually um I'm I'm friends with one of the winery owners is me and him are, are pretty friendly. I, I don't know if we're friends or acquaintances, but um I, I inquired to him because he has his most popular product is a carbonated um semi sweet uh peach peach wine. So I, I went up there and I said, Dan, how are you? You know, how are you doing all this? So he showed me this like homebrew counterpressure bottler filler that he's had since the '70s, with like three different level or levers on it to adjust all this stuff. And I'm like, this is this is like ridiculous. You should just buy a Blickman beer gun; it's so much easier. Um, so he's like, Yeah, maybe I should, but I don't feel like laying out the hundred dollars. And I mean, that's something he sells hundreds of cases of that. Uh, a month, uh, at least a hundred cases. That a month he sells. Uh, I don't understand uh, how he puts that much product through that little counter pressure filler. So, yeah, there's plenty of people doing it uh, frugally, and uh, I hope I hope to uh, be able to afford something a little bit bigger and better. I do have a standing offer from another winery that has a, um, a two bottle counter pressure filler um, that's you know works a much faster level. Cool. So, but I don't have the I don't have the the supply and demand issues that Sergio has at the time being. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sergio Sergio kinda went ballistic right out of the gate there. Um yeah, he said yeah. he almost went that route too and quickly changed his mind. I'm guessing, you know, once the once the uh the rush hit, and he realized that, yeah, that would probably not work too good.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty labor-intensive, and it, it, I mean, it, you know, it's not very precise. It really takes a good eye, uh, you know, and the temperature needs to be right on the product. The temperature needs to be right in the room, and the humidity is a little crazy today, and it was a little too hot, and we had foaming issues, and it takes two guys. You can't do it by yourself. Um, so it, it it really is not cost-effective unless you're, um, not counting your own labor time.
1: Yeah, which let's face it, a lot of people don't get to do that when they're first starting out.
3: Pretty much, you know? that's what I do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's like anything. I mean, it's you know, you start a small business, and you know, your time is unpaid. You know, worth a lot, but unpaid as you get things going. That's you know, <laughs> sucks. But there you go. So, what? How much uh, increase in? Uh, production capacity do you expect to get uh, when the new place comes around
3: um the new the new space should have um, a minimum of two thousand square feet and probably realistically I can I can use up to four thousand square feet in the building nice. um, so that that'll allow me to get to much larger production I don't know uh, what I'm gonna do with carbonated meads uh, probably the 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 other winery I mentioned, they're, they're up the road like six miles. Um, I probably can take stuff up there. They have a 300-gallon bright tank that they said I can use. And oh. they, don't, they don't bottle and, and um, package as often as I've been. So it'd be something that I'd be able to work out with them. So that's probably where I'm going to go with things like Liquid Sunshine and our Scarlet A is the sizer I mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Those two carbonated ones sell way faster than anything else. So those two will be uh, being made up there. And I, I hope to make, uh, 300 gallons or so of liquid sunshine to start in the, in the spring, uh, as a first batch of the year next year. Um, and hopefully that'll last me through most of the summer and maybe I can get another 300 gallon batch in the summer made nice. of that.
1: So. so what's your, what's your average turnaround time on a batch?
3: Uh, the Liquid Sunshine and the Scarlet A are, are pretty quick. The Scarlet A is actually very quick, and if I could cold crash, I could have Scarlet A um, packaged in three weeks. Uh, Liquid Sunshine is five weeks. Um, but without cold crashing, it it takes about five weeks.
1: Okay. That's not too bad, though. From Is that from, from pitch to sell?
3: Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the Scarlet A is 8%. Uh, and it's it's back sweetened, uh, filtered and, and back sweetened, um, and then the liquid sunshine is nine percent, and that that's done the same way.
1: Okay, cool.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, all right, how did you come to end up doing this? Did you go that route of all your friends telling you this is amazing, you should be selling it, or is there a better story there? <laughs>
3: um, n- no, you know, I, I. I I was a home brewer for about a year before I got into mead. And, mm-hmm. you know, this about six years ago, I got into mead as a home brewer. Um, but, you know, beer is a lot cheaper to make. So I was always making yeah. more beer than I was mead. Um, and I frankly, I I really enjoy to drink beer a lot more than I drink mead. Um, you know, I, I, I don't drink mead on a regular basis to be like a once or twice a week kind of thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I made mead. But it was it was a lot more special, and I didn't um, give it to as many people, and the people I did give it to were the people I really wanted honest feedback from. And I always got great feedback on my mead, uh, where my beers, I didn't always get great feedback, and I know my <laughs> beers weren't always great. But my meads were always consistently good. Um, and it, it just kind of got to the point for me as a teacher where I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and I, I say I'm as a teacher, but I taught in a residential facility for at-risk youth. It was a really difficult place to work. Yeah, um, it, it's a it's a really a toxic environment, and I just burned out. And I, I came home from work one day. I told my wife, I said, "Look, I don't know how much longer I can do this for, but we got to come up with some kind of plan because this is I'm, I'm not going to make it through this year." Uh, and that was. Uh, Two years ago, September, and it was about a week later. My I came home and my wife said, "Well, then why don't we start a metery? And really, that that was kind of spurred out of um, on a guy that I had talked with um, before that was pursuing a metery which he still hasn't um, gotten gotten anything closer to opening. And, and this is probably five years now he's been pursuing it. Um, so it, it kind of. I thought about it and I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, that sounds like it would be amazing. Uh, you know, and, um, so we did the market research and looked into the area that we're in right now because we had wanted to live here for a long time. And, um, you know, the more we looked into it, the the more sense it made. Now we, we came from New Jersey where Sergio is. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like a, a strong connection to Sergio and I hope he has somewhat of a connection to me. Um, We've. We, I've never been there. We've never met, but um, I, I hope to go down there uh, soon to visit some well, family and go
1: see. I was him. just saying, if you don't see him then, I'm hoping to drag his sorry behind out to Mazer Cup this year. And <laughs> if you come, then I'll hook you guys up.
3: <laughs> I, I'll be. A, I will. I, I do plan to go to the Mazer Cup this year. Um, cool. And I do plan to submit meets to the Mazer Cup. I've never submitted any meats, any competitions.
1: Uh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah, you definitely should. You know, uh, I, mean, I,
3: I will. Um, a part of the part of the reason I haven't done that is because I entered some homebrew competitions early on as a homebrewer. And there was some funny stuff to happen in the competitions. And I had numerous people in the one competition tell me my beer was way better than the guy who won. Um, I got the two highest scores uh, from two of the three judges. And then I got the lowest score from the third judge, which put me in like fifth place. And it just, um, it, it just really burned me. And then I mm-hmm. entered that beer into another competition, and the same kind of thing happened to me. And I just decided, you know what, I don't really care about entering a competition. I'm making things so I can enjoy them. Um, so that's kind of transferred into my business. Uh, but at the same time, I also recognize we have some good meads that yeah. probably are, are worthy of um, some high praise in a competition. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to place a medal in the Mazer Cup, but I do plan to enter into competitions next year. And the Mazer Cup will definitely be one of them.
1: Cool. We'd love to see your meets there. That would be really awesome. Yeah, I'll meet it. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, the Mazer Cup is we do our level best to keep the standards sky high. And, uh, we've got no problem with getting rid of people who don't adhere to our impossibly high standards. So, uh, uh, I mean, we really do. We're very, very, that's probably the number one most important thing to the team, uh, that runs the Mazer Cup, which I am fortunate to be a part as is that, that high level of, of, um, quality and commitment to giving the meeteries and, and the homemade makers everything right, you know, that everything that they need so that they can have a good experience. I mean, we, we want to play, we want the competition to be above reproach. It's really, really important.
3: No, I totally respect the Maser cup as well. I, you know, I, I, I never was hesitant to answer the Maser cup for any reason other than my own personal issues with uh, feeling spurned from things in the past. so Yeah.
1: Oh, I hear you. It's not an easy thing. I never entered for much the same sort of reasons, and I can't enter the Major Cup for obvious reasons. So, you know. um, it's a bit of a conflict of interest, so I just don't. Besides, my stuff gets drunk up so fast, I never time to enter competitions anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't make enough of it to do that. So, um when when you guys decided to to okay we're going to make a business out of this you know what 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 happened from there what you know what did you run into what worked what didn't
3: um i mean we the the first thing we did cuz we were looking to go to new york and you know so i immediately went to all of the liquor stores around me and tried to find new york wine and i could not i could not find new york wine in new jersey uh, and there's some there's some uh, financial legality things with, you know, transporting wine from New York and, into New Jersey that, that make that difficult. Um, but the the other thing that I, you know, it really surprised me, because New York is the third highest producer of wine in the country behind California and Oregon, and they're very far, or Washington, not Oregon, very far behind California. But I just, it, it really kind of struck me. Um, so I, I looked more into the New York wine market, and I realized that, People come from all over the East Coast and the Northeast to New York every summer to get wine through the Finger Lake regions uh, and the Eastern Fork of Long Island, and as well as uh, coming to the Niagara region with the, uh, where we're at. And it, it really kind of made some sense to us that you know people come to New York to buy their wine and take it home with them, and that's why you don't see a lot of New York State wine. And while New York may produce a lot of wine, the majority of the wineries in New York are actually very small. Really so that, yeah that, that kind of I mean New York has over 300 wineries
1: yeah, um, I know it's a um, I mean you read about the the wine trails and I know the Finger Lakes district my mother-in-law grew up in that area uh, in her summers and I heard a lot about it from my friends who live up in New York and that and so I'm kind of surprised that they're all really small I just I mean I know like two wineries in New York, one of them's brotherhood because they have a maid you know so
3: I don't even know who they are.
1: They're out they're about an hour outside of NYC and uh, it's Brotherhood Winery. I think it's the oldest winery in America and they're not very big either, but um they have a, a tedge and they have a sweetmead if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. Go
3: yeah, so check them out if you get over there. <laughs> very very small wineries um all all just about all of the or most of the wineries on the on the Niagara Trail do less than 5,000 cases a year. Wow. And these are wineries that the majority of those are, are five or five years or more established.
1: Okay, so when you guys were starting this up, you decided, okay, um, toxic job and the mead thing sounds like a great way to live our lives, and it'll get us into the area where we want to live. What what happened? What what did you do? And what kind of um, you know what kind of issues did you run into, or was it all
2: smooth sailing?
3: Uh, we, it, it, I, I hit a day before we actually like decided to do this, where I felt like if I didn't do what I'm doing right now, by the time I was 50, I would regret it. I'm I'm 33 now, and I didn't want to be 50 and have drug myself through a career that I that I hated and regretted never doing this. So we just we just decided to do it. Um, our house had been for sale in New Jersey for eight months, and we had zero interest so we we started to look at some properties in New York that we felt like would work for us. We wanted to be in a downtown environment. We wanted to be able to capitalize on foot traffic that a town has, and we also mm-hmm. wanted to have like a dessert kind of menu that people, if they were out for dinner, could come to us for dessert. So we do have that in the tasting room. My wife makes chocolates that pair with all of our meads, Mm. uh, and each chocolate recipe is designed different, and those are all barks. And then each weekend she makes a different um, dessert plate that includes a mini dessert, uh, some fresh fruit, and a truffle. And the truffle flavors change uh, on a weekly basis as well.
1: Oh, man.
3: As as we kind of looked to, you know, that business model is what we were trying to find a fit for. Um, we, we settled on Medina for a variety of reasons, but the biggest one is that real estate prices in Medina are very cheap, um, and, and it has a very unique business district, and Mead being, you know, not common, um, we felt like Mead fit the business district here well. So um, without having any idea of how we were going to move here, or how we are going to do anything, my wife calls the mayor of Medina and tells him, hey, we're thinking of coming to your town and opening a meadery. Um, and then it was about two hours later, we got an offer for rent on our house in New Jersey. And a month later, we moved to New York. And um, that was wow. December, December 2013. Um, and then we opened uh, about a year after that. Um, my, my wife is an incredible processor of paperwork uh she worked in federal in the state government in new jersey for uh 10 years wow so she she understands what a bureaucrat is looking for on her piece of paper and uh-huh. on every single one of our deadlines in licensing um we actually got licensed ahead of what the calculators predicted hmm. we would get licensed then um nice and then, yeah so she's she's very good with that. Um, you know, everybody that has makes mead and as knows about the meadery industry uh, knows how many times recipe formulas get rejected. Um, yeah. and I would say I I think I mean we have something something like twenty something formulas approved um and I, I think we've only been rejected on two of them and uh one of those was my fault so
1: that that's <laughs> got to be some kind of record brian i mean seriously uh, and, maybe you know yeah. if you guys want to make a little extra money on the side maybe you should rent your wife out to meteries <laughs> yeah. to help them do their paperwork i'm not kidding really. uh, um, you know
3: i, I mean i know i've thought about that i was like man if if we don't make it as a metery
1: <laughs> you can make <laughs> it as like metery paperwork <laughs> processors yeah, yeah but,
3: we will make my wife a meat consultant, and
1: she there you go. Help yeah.
3: Everybody.
1: Seriously, I'm going to get your wife's name because I I work with meaderies <laughs> to help them do their marketing and stuff. And having somebody like that that I can refer people to would be awesome. You know?
3: Every time I mention something like that, she just kind of gives me the death stare. Like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, we don't want the
1: death stare. I'm That's doing it for good. other
3: people. Um, Are you kidding? Yeah. It's bad
1: enough doing it for us. Just because I'm good at it doesn't mean it's fun. <laughs> right.
3: We're
0: talking to uh, Brian Gras tonight from Medina, New York. There, I said it right from eight ten Meadworks. Brian, go enjoy choice foods, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. How does that fit into your meter?
3: Well, that is what the eight ten in our name, eight ten Meadworks, stands for, and that fits in in that early stages when uh, you know we were discussing on whether we wanted to do this as as a you know, real business or not, you know, it was was really just a dream at that point. Uh, we're in church and, um, the, the pastor during the service read, uh, this verse as part of his sermon. And it it was something that just grabbed the hold of both of us. And it was, it was the point for us where in our minds, that was the, not, we're not turning back from this. We're going to go do this and we're going to do it, um, so and and really that that verse in its placement in the story that it comes from is about going and having a a good time after being stuck in a in a crappy situation, just like we or at least I was in my job and and we really you know where we lived in new jersey we we're over two hours away from family and just felt um isolated where we were and we we needed to be closer to family and my wife 's family had um, all relocated to the area where we are. Uh, and it, it it just felt like a a breath of fresh air to our lives to hear that verse in in the moment where we were and um we just felt like we needed to go do it and and like i said that was that was the moment where in our minds there was no turning back we we left church that that sunday and on the way home in the car we said we're going to go start a metery. i don't know where i don't know how but we're going to go do it awesome
1: Interesting. I really like that. Um, That's from Nehemiah, right?
3: Yes, Nehemiah 8.10.
1: Okay, cool. So, you know, it's interesting because several other things that you said over the course of this conversation, in my head, I'm thinking the stars were lining up for you, the universe was knocking at your door, whatever you want to call it, God was providing. Um, You've had, things have lined up. So it sounds to me like this was kind of what you guys were meant to do.
3: Um you know it feels like it i i I work countless hours and there's so many things to do every day and every week um but I have so much more energy and i, I have i i i love what i'm doing i I wouldn't want to do anything else uh you know people all the time you know it's almost become cliche you, you pick a job that you would do for free well I mean, it. You know, most of the time I'm doing this for free. But I still love it.
1: <laughs> so I, it's a good it, thing yeah, that you love I, it, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, like it's fine. And um, you know, if it's if it's serving customers in the tasting room, or if it's bottling in, in disastrous form at, at eight o'clock and nine o'clock at night while you're waiting for a <laughs> radio show to call you, uh, it's still fun. So um, it, you know, I I, w- I wouldn't change anything uh, in our business uh, in the last year. Uh, it's all it's. I've learned some things, and um, there's mistakes that were made that I won't make again. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I wouldn't change anything that that has happened.
1: Well, and mistakes are part of the learning process. I mean, if you don't make mistakes, it just means that they're going to be bigger later. Really, yep. you know, exactly. better to make them small and early than big and late. Is yeah, kind of the way true. I look at it. Yeah, it's yep. you know, I mean, you have to you have to crawl before you can walk. But I, I love that that you just kept taking the steps and, and you made the dream happen. You know, you, you, took advantage of what what was in front of you and weren't afraid to do that. That's, that's a tough thing. What would you, you know, I mean, what would you say to, we've got, we've got a whole raft of newbies coming up behind you guys that are people in process right now, the next five, the next five episodes, they're all meteries in the process of, of getting legal. And so what would you have to say to them as they're dragging themselves through this, what can be in a lot of cases a pretty frustrating and, and in some cases, expensive process.
3: Um, you know, there were some there were some days early on where I really doubted that we were going to actually do this. Um, you know, we worked so hard, worked countless hours. I mean, last year and uh, not this year, but the, the previous year before we opened, I was working 100 hours a week and, you know, sleeping less 20 hours, some weeks. Um, and, and at some points, it really didn't feel worth it. And I would just, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone to abuse their bodies in the way I did in doing that. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, when you're going to start a small business, especially when you're going to start a meadery, which, which has a whole other world of of hurdles to climb over legally and, you know, educationally and educating customers and things like that. Um, If you want to be successful, you're going to have to sacrifice some things that maybe you're not willing to sacrifice, Um, you know, whether it be eating or sleeping or time with, with people, you know, that, that initial push to get going um, really is going to take more out of you than I think you're aware of or ready for and you need to just bite down and, and do it. I mean, if this is something you really wanna do and you really believe in yourself that the product you make is gonna be successful, then you're just gonna have to suck it up and do those things um, and and really keep do the dirty work sometimes that um, you, you didn't think was possible. And, uh, and I would also say that you, you may think you're a hard worker and you may think you know what hard work is, but you won't know what hard work is until you start a business from scratch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I can attest to that. Although I've not started the meadery, I've run my own business for years and people are like, oh, that must be so great. Take off whenever you want. I'm going, and I work Christmas and New Year's and nights and weekends <laughs> and birthdays and anniversaries. And, you know, I've, I've been known to be working on got meat all night long on Christmas night because it went down, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah so, we, we took a business class and, you know, there was there was some, there was some times during the business class, it was a, it was a county class that a, allowed us to get a, a low interest loan um, to help us get started. And in nice. the class, you know, there was some discussion in there that as a small business owner, it's a 24-7 job. And, and that's absolutely true. If, if you're going to be it a is. small business owner, you, you're 24-7. And, you know, there are some days where I've worked till four or five in the morning. Um, one night in filtering, it was... It, that was the Murphy's Law attack on, on me that night um, I started filtering I started way too late but I ended up at like 5.30 in the morning just laying down on the couch for an hour and taking a nap and then got up and finished um, after that but yeah I worked all night that night um, I went that day on one hour sleep and um, whatever That's, uh, some days they're going to be that that way and other days are going to be you know, you can go to bed at a reasonable hour and get a good night's sleep, and those days are like five a year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, okay, uh, biggest, biggest pain in the butt, and biggest triumph. What would you, what would you say?
3: Ooh, biggest, biggest pain, uh, like biggest, biggest single pain, or the biggest, like recurring pain.
1: Oh, um, uh, you choose. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I would say the biggest pain for me has been not doing proper research on uh, a correct pump and a pump that would work well for me the pump that i ended up buying um it works but it i don't know if i got a lemon or it just doesn't like mead. but the heavier uh thicker meads tend to cause it to overheat which is part of the reason why i ended up laying on the couch at 5:30 one morning um so it'll overheat and then you got to let it cool down and then you can run it back again and, and so on. But, um, so that, that's probably been my biggest pain and, Mm -hmm. um, probably uh, the biggest triumph. Um, the biggest triumph actually happened uh, like two weeks ago. I was at this brewery in Rochester after, a um, this event that I had poured, poured at for a radio station. And, um, I went there, I, I had, built some relationship up with the brewer previously, uh, and at the same time, this other brewery of guys that I know showed up there, um, including a brewer from Genesee Brewing Company, and one of the guys was like, hey, Brian, you got any meat in the car you can bring in? So I was like, yeah, actually, I do. So I went out there, I grabbed the bottle, we brought it in, we poured it out, everybody enjoyed it, and uh, it was just, it was like the moment where I felt like, all right, all my hard work has paid off because all of these guys love what they're trying. And, um, you know, it's, it's not like customers. It was colleagues. Yeah. Mine, uh, who are crafting things themselves that really enjoyed it. So that that was probably my greatest triumph, um, even though it's not something that's on paper. Uh, in my mind, that is my highest moment as a business owner and as a mead maker.
1: Nice. I like that. And it is, I mean, to get the, to, when, when, when people that you work with, you know, that are other people in your industry tell you that you've made it. Yep. That's, that's when it all makes sense. Yes. So, J.D., I imagine you're overflowing with questions, and, and I expect A.J. has <laughs> got some things to ask.
0: Well, A.J. has uh, been sitting there sipping on her mystery mead with the raspberry.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> go yeah, ahead, it, A.J. It got better after a few. Um, <laughs> I, I was wondering if you have a preferred yeast or if you pick yeast um, based on the recipe or if you use the same one for everything?
3: Um, I use uh, Lavalin 71B for anything that I want fruit to really be forward in. Uh, and, and most of what I make is melomel, So I would say that's probably my favorite yeast. Um, but I also like the Lavalin K1V uh, or KV1 or whichever way it goes. That one I feel like it's very clean, and it's pretty fast for me. So I I do like that one as well. Okay, thank you. I also use, um, I actually have our mead that is uh, made with Cascade and Simcoe hops. I use American ale yeast. Um, I use a Cezanne yeast in a mead that we put uh, some Sriracha hops as well as peppercorns and lemons. Uh, And I try to ferment that warm like a farmhouse or a saison would be if it was a beer. Um, So you get some good fusel alcohol flavors in there, too. Um, Then I use D47 and some Premi cuvier on some higher gravity stuff that I want to finish higher. So I think that's that's it.
0: Tell me about your... um I I love good coffee. Uh I mean if there's anything uh, if it was my last meal it would be a cup of coffee, good coffee. Uh, tell me tell me about this 21 bean salute. How, how do you, how did you get there? How did you uh uh and how do you do it? How, how do you how, how do you incorporate coffee beans or coffee I guess uh, into a meat?
3: Um we put vanilla beans in first. And I, I pretty much I leave them in. It's it's anywhere from ten days to fourteen days, uh, and really that's an aroma thing. Uh, I don't give any samples, but uh, at the ten day mark, I'll open that up and, and see how it smells, and if it's if it's where I'm happy with it, then I actually put whole coffee beans right into the mead, uh, and this is all in secondary after the fermentation is complete. Um, and the whole bean's right in there. And I leave them in there until they become saturated enough that they start to think. Um, so you actually get a lot of aroma and some good flavor. It's, I, I feel like it's well-balanced between the coffee uh, and the, and the um, honey flavor that you get in there. Um, but it, it, it just whole beans, no, no pressing them, no crushing them, no cooking them. Uh, no brewing them in any way that you would if it was coffee. And, um, yeah.
0: Did you – uh, h- how did you go about selecting the coffee bean itself? I mean, there are just
3: thousands uh, yeah, I, of varieties. I went I went through probably about five different roasts, and I found that I really liked what the dark roast did to it. So it's a dark roast, and it's it's roasted by a local – um, coffee roaster in Rochester. I can never remember the name of them, so I would not be able to plug them right now. But, um, the, the, yeah, the dark roast from them. And um, and then even even after I decided I wanted it to be a dark roast, I went ahead and, and tried three different varieties of their roasts before I chose uh, the one that we settled on.
0: Wow, awesome. And is that going to be available on the uh, Vino Shipper?
3: Yes, yes. Uh, that's wow. actually available on Vino Shipper um, for New York shipping only, uh, but that will be on there uh, for December, yeah.
0: AJ, that's can actually... you take a flight to New York tonight? i got to go <laughs> get me a bottle of that. <laughs> right. I'll get right on that, JD.
3: <laughs> That'll be one of the meets. Uh, that's actually the meat I'm going to make tomorrow. As
0: well. Outstanding. Hey, we're talking to Brian... DeGras from eight ten Meadworks in Medina, New York. Tonight, Vicky and AJ I mean this is this is awesome. Uh eight months into this and uh Ten. Man.
1: Ten months standing. Ten months. Actually eleven, because he's next end of next month is their one year anniversary.
3: Yeah, we opened on the last day of November. So normally I tell people we open in December.
1: So you're a Turkey Day meter. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's
3: it, the um it's the Saturday after uh, Thanksgiving, and the, the reason we chose that day is there's a big uh, it's a big Christmas or holiday celebration that Medina throws every year for that. There's a parade. Last year, there was 40-some-odd floats in the parade. So just a, a good day to open up uh, and get a lot of people through the doors and get them a taste of mead.
4: Oh, yeah.
3: So we, we had i would I would guess we had at least seven hundred people through the doors on that first day hmm. um, and and that was really great uh The difficult thing for us was we we set that as our opening date and we you know had product finished we had um everything finished except that we did not have bottles so oh. um which, which was fine because then people had to come back. So, you know, people got got samples and glasses the day of our opening. Um, and then for two weeks, we didn't have any bottles. We've, we finally got them in and were able to get some stuff bottled um, before Christmas. So we sold quite a bit of, of product and bottles last, last December. And that's more of the reason why I tell people we opened in December because, yeah, we opened and we got people trying some product, but it, it wasn't like we sold any bottles at that point.
1: Well, yeah, but I think that's really interesting, though. You took what could have been a disaster with 700 people moving through the store, and oh my God, we've got no bottles. And for a lot of people, that would have been a huge disaster. You turned it into a reason for them to come back. That's a marketing yep. triumph. You totally.
3: know? Yeah. Yeah. We- it worked out great uh, and it, you know and th- that's one of those things where you lose sleep over it and you're not sure what the heck's going to happen but you know 3 weeks later I shouldn't have lost any sleep I should have just slept full nights and everything would be mm-hmm.
1: fine well that's a when life hands you lemons <laughs> make lemonade kind of moment and you did you know i mean
3: yeah and and there's been so many times like that you know I, I, as as i do more i do this more uh, there's there's less times where things that i originally thought would have been a disaster i just let them go and you know because you can't you can't control something like that so it's worth losing sleep over
1: that's one thing i've learned in 20 years running my own company is you know if if it looks like something's going to be horrible weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth rarely does anything to help but you can often turn it into something that'll move you forward if you're willing to just step back and, and view it from a different direction and that's what you guys did you know
3: yeah, and and it was helpful too. I mean, we didn't even have bottles in hand. All of our, all of our still meads that come in 750, we put them in 750 clear, uh, you know, traditional wine bottles. They all have screen printed labels. And it was oh, the screen okay. printing that delayed us. So we had a ship date from the print company. Um, so when people were here that first weekend and then the second weekend, we were able to tell them, Hey, we're going to have bottles in hand in two weeks and you can have a bottle in your hand in two weeks. So come back in two weeks and buy your bottles. So it, it worked out uh, well that way for us.
1: That's nice. It's it's helpful to to be able
3: to tell a customer, hey, I don't have this today, but I will have it on this date. If you can tell a customer that, then they know, all right, if I come back on that date or after, I'll get what I want. That's really helpful, too. If if you don't have any idea um, and then you tell a customer that, then it's just confusing to the customer, and I don't think that customer comes back.
1: Well, and if they like your stuff, most people are going to be pretty cool about that and say, hey, we totally get it not everything works out the way you want and yeah sure we'll come back and buy a case you know yeah yep so that's pretty awesome mm-hmm. so now what where do you guys see yourselves topping out in terms of number of offerings that you have at any given time do you have a? I mean, is there a plan for that or are you still sort of feeling your way towards what that's going to be
3: when we first opened, I thought it would be awesome if there was like 25 varieties, um, and and now I now if you were to tell me that I needed to make 25 varieties, I'd probably punch you in the face because <laughs> I, I, there's only so many hours in a week, so yeah. that's not going to happen. Um, I, I've, I've settled I've settled around 12 to 15, uh, and the 15 would be more on um, previous batches of stuff that we're running out of while new batches of different things comes out so um <clears throat> really uh, about 12 in production uh, or at least have deadlines for release dates and things like that at any given time and um and there's really probably about five or six products that we will carry consistently because those sell best um
1: so you're going to have your core, and then you're going to have seasonals and specials.
3: Yeah, or, like, we have this pomegranate. It's a, a pomegranate mead, Jewel of the Newell, that um, is, it, you know, it's not a, a great seller, but there's there's some people who really love it. So I don't want to do away with it because I value those customers, and that's, you know, the, some of those customers, that's all they buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the same time, we just released an elderberry, uh, elderberry mead, wildflower honey, and it's delicious. It's very similar to the pomegranate, but it's got the earthiness of the elderberries versus the tart that the pomegranate has.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and that one that one sells better, but it's going to kind of take the place of the pomegranate for a while. Uh, and then we'll make the pomegranate again, and when the pomegranate is, when that batch comes out, uh, whatever elderberry isn't, Available won't be available again until I sell through the pomegranate. So, in, in that way, uh, I don't know how many seasonal things we'll have. Definitely the, the Scarlet A and the Liquid Sunshine play off of each other seasonally, um, and more so because the Liquid Sunshine is like it's lemonade, so it's yeah. time what you really want to go with um and then the the pineapple cucumber will sell through whatever inventory we have of that right now but we won't have probably any more of that available until april when it warms back up and that just makes better sense because it, it does sell much better in the summertime So there is there is a few seasonal things we do have next month coming out uh, is our maple tap which is um, made with red clover honey which has quite a bit of cinnamon note to it which I really like and then we have maple syrup local local maple syrup from Medina and then uh, cinnamon and nutmeg and vanilla added in secondary so it is a spiced maple um, sweet mead that is just.
1: Oh, oh, oh. Will that be available in December?
3: Because <laughs> uh, I, I think I we'll lost some of that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how well it sells. In it, the, um, We're going to release that two weeks before Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. um, if, if it sells very fast, I don't know how much it will be available online or at all. Uh, if, it, if it just kind of goes uh, you know, at, a, at a moderate pace, then, yeah, there will be some available online.
1: Uh, okay well i might have to like get a hold of you directly and see what we can do about saving me a bottle of that you know? i got I, i'll be <laughs> me too to a bottle. yeah i heard too oh we got to figure out how to get it across the border
2: into canada oh you know? <laughs> well, one of these days i have to get a passport and get pick passport up my stuff me, from the yeah. um i have to pick up my stuff from acuac who's got my um chocolate um
3: group brew oh yeah <laughs> Well it's only a three hour drive from Toronto. I don't know where you're at in Canada.
2: I'm in Ottawa, but I I've never had a passport.
3: Yeah.
2: We've that's been bugging sure. her about it. You know, she's just, I, everybody's been bugging me about it.
1: Yeah. She's she's not doing her job.
2: <laughs> I am doing my job, it's why I'm not getting a passport. That's why you don't have a passport, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, so I hate to uh, I hate to ring the bell.
1: Yeah, somebody's <laughs> gotta do it though.
0: I tell you, you know, I mean, to to start up a meadery, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work. And I've enjoyed listening to you, Brian, and uh, look forward to having you again on the show, uh, you know, pretty soon. I think you've got an amazing story out there. And I like the way that you have worked that Bible verse into your your business uh, process. It's just... uh, kind of a uh, kind of a unique thing and i'm uh glad to hear about it
1: well it's, it's it was funny when you said that because i was thinking we're on a mission for Mead from god
4: there you go <laughs> it's, like
2: the
1: blues, it's like the blues brothers you know we're on a mission from god it's so funny It just cracks me up And you know i mean i'm sure jesus would totally go for that you know? <laughs> Man uh, liked his wine, right? I mean, he liked to have a drink oh, of, an, of a time, so this is a good thing.
0: <laughs> and uh, 8, 810 Meadworks, a small meadery in Medina, New York. Has some big flavors they'd like you to try. 21 Bean Salute, and i got to get my hands on that. Uh, 21 Bean Salute offers the aroma of a rich, earthy, cold brew coffee, with the sweetness of honey and creamy vanilla and liquid sunshine. You heard Brian talking about that tonight, a carbonated lemon lavender mead made with wildflower honey and green tea For more information about their tasting room and their mead list, you got to visit them 810meadworks.com today. Vicki and AJ uh, we got to sign this guy up again here maybe in about uh, three or four months and uh, you know check on uh, 810 Meadworks see how they're doing.:
1: Yeah, I think that'd be great.
3: Awesome. Yes, absolutely.
0: Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, unfortunately, we've got to end this segment. We've got Ask Oscar update on the uh, pumpkin project coming up here. The Linus oh. Mead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <So laughs> stick around. We got more coming. We'll see you in a bit.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, that was great having you on, Brian. Thanks.
0: Homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. Homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. One of the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey. Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at bee nectar.com. That's bee nectar with a K dot Brian DeGraw from 810 Meadworks out there in Medina, New York. And, uh, you know, Vicky, I just, you know, his whole, his whole the, the whole way he put his meadry together um, and some of the flavors that he's working with, uh, it's just one of those things that I just, you know what? I got to jump on a plane and go out there and check this guy out. I mean, it oh, just sounds yeah. like a fantastic place
1: well and i mean if you go to new york you could hang out in new york for a week and hit his different meter every single day and there's there's a number of excellent meteries in new york state yeah uh
0: you know i was surprised you know and i thought california was the only uh state that had wineries (laughs) but
1: uh look at this this left coast snob we've got (laughs) on the show here Oh yeah totally God dang. See,
2: the best <laughs> yeah, place in Ontario not. for wines is Niagara region. So I knew there was going to be some on the other
5: side of the the falls. Exactly.
1: There. Yeah.
5: And yeah, uh, it was the whole Finger Lake. I mean, that's an excellent place for growing wine grapes.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, Pete has joined us. Ask uh, Oscar, uh, which uh, we'll get to here in just a minute. But uh, right now, uh, let's do the pumpkin pie. First, first it's the great
1: pumpkin, JD Webb. <laughs> the great pumpkin.
0: <laughs> we, uh, been the that <laughs> <laughs> we've been following this all day. We've been we've been following this here now since its inception uh, a few weeks back, and uh, it was it started out with thirty pounds of uh, various pumpkins and sweet potatoes. Uh, That all reduced down to 13 pounds of roasted product, which I'm finding now, guys, just is not enough. Uh, I thought 30 pounds was like way overboard. It's clearly not enough, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. Uh, We started out with a uh, gravity at 1.136. Our intention was to have it end uh, on the sweet side right now. Uh, we're at 1.040, uh, and that's as of about uh, a half hour before we started the show tonight. We used the D21 yeast, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's something new to me. I've never used that yeast before, uh, so I'm hoping that uh, it, it's all going to come together nicely. Right now, I think, though, I'm looking for a miracle, Um it's it a good thing
1: that you've got Miracle Max. I mean Pete on the line <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: Well, he's been well the you know, good news is he's only mostly dead. He's not totally dead. <laughs> yeah. Which means
1: he's still a little bit alive. yeah all we need is all we need is an epo- what is it apocalypse? Code? no
5: <laughs>
1: And, a, and a, why did you tell us we had a wheelbarrow? <laughs> so
0: thank, uh, thank God for Pete. I mean he's just he's been very instrumental inter- uh, you know in my mead making experience here. And, you know, greatly appreciated uh, with all the help that he's given me on this particular special project and, of course, my traditional uh, fermentation has slowed down considerably. Of course, you know, we're approaching the end of, uh, of the, uh, the fermentation. Uh, and I, I pulled the product out uh, a while back because I just didn't think any more flavor could possibly come out of it. And I took a big old spoonful of it and ate it, and it was completely flavorless, uh, which was surprising. So, I mean, it would not would not have even been good to make jams or jellies out of. Um, right now, it, uh, I, and this is maybe where I'm looking for the miracle, um, and I've already talked to Pete about, uh, you know, what to do about the pumpkin taste but right now what I'm experiencing is a very tart taste and this may be coming from one the apple. Uh, Apples have a natural tartness to them to begin with. Of course remember we used five gallons of uh, fresh pressed apple juice and plus the addition of 308 grams of acid uh, when the pH, Bing, Bing, Bing,
5: uh, Bing, 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 Bing. Hello, yeah. <laughs> we have our tartness.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, it's I understand the need for tartness, but I, you know, and I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, how tart is it supposed to be? You know, on the pH well, right Well, that is, depends. Well, it, it depends on on what. <laughs>
5: But it depends on how sweet it's going to stay and how how much it actually balances out the sweetness, and how much the sweetness cuts into the tart from the you used a combination of malic and tartaric you did right.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. The sweetness. Uh, now we started out. Uh, I you know, I, and I have learned. I don't. I don't pay that much attention to poundage anymore as much as I do the hydrometer. But it right. was somewhere around 16 or 17 pounds of mesquite honey that we used. Because remember, we started out with the fresh pressed apple juice, and the gravity of that alone, uh, I believe, was at uh, 1.058. If I, and I, I don't have my notes, all of my notes up here in front of me. But, uh, so, you're, right. yeah, you're starting out at that level anyway. So, the additional honey. Uh, 16 pounds for a 5-gallon, actually a 6-gallon batch it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but, you know, it took us to 1.136 where we wanted to start, so.
5: Right. And that's and that's all fine. And, uh, you know, one of the things you can do, actually, is if the uh, the must is down to uh, a point of where it's and you don't consider it sweet enough with the, that tartness cutting into it, you can actually— Add in that uh, surplus apple juice that you kept, which is going to be at 1.058. So that'll bring the sweetness up a little bit as well, uh, as well as bringing some more of that malic acid creaminess to it rather than the uh, the, uh, the real sharpness that's in there. So,
0: Yeah, and that may be... Uh, doing it. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm kind of anticipating doing that when we rack over to the glass... Six gallons, I know that there's going to be quite a bit of sediment as well. So, safe to do uh, that?
5: Yeah, we were talking about. You can rack through a uh, paper filter if you want to help get some of that out, or uh, layered cheesecloth or whatever to help mitigate some of the uh, the sediment that's going in there. But uh, uh, what I'd say is just go ahead and put your juice. Right into the other one without doing anything. Just rack, you know, rack your juice into the uh, into the carboy, and then rack your meat on top of it, and get it, you know, crank the uh, the temperature control way down on it to as cold as you can get it without freezing it, and that'll help settle it. Um, we use pectic in this, didn't we? Uh, lalozyme. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. The lalozyme uh, at the very beginning for twenty, a little over twenty four hours.
5: Okay. Great. So that will. That will ensure that it stays that it clears on its own, rather than having to find it or filter it as well. Um, now, the pumpkin taste, just like the honey flavor in dry meads, will come charging back after a time, after some aging. You know, right now it's it's gone through you know the scrubbing of fermentation, and so a lot of those post estification and, and post fermentation flavors are still kind of pervading, rather than displaying the flavor of the pumpkin and. Some of the other elements that are giving you uh, different complexity, sweet kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so after it ages and goes through polymerization and elevage, it should start coming on back. I've had dry meads take as long as, you know, three, four years for the honey flavor to, to pop back into them. And then it comes running on back. And I think I've told the story before. I took a just a bone dry mead over to a friend's house. And he and his sister tasted it. And he said, oh, this is sweet. His sister said, no, it's, it's dry, but it tastes like honey. That's why you think it's sweet. And yeah. so it just takes time sometimes. Yeah.
1: Do you think that, uh, Pete, do you think that he's going to, I noticed J.D. said earlier that a lot of the pumpkin flavor is gone. It's a mild flavor to begin with. But um, do you think that he's going to have a residual on that or will he need to bring it back in the secondary? What do you think?
5: Well, that's what I was just alluding to. The longer it oh. sits, the more that pumpkin flavor is going to come back up. Oh, okay. okay. So I'd, before I make any adjustments, I'd go ahead and let it sit a year in bulk um, and then taste it and see if that pumpkin flavor has come back. If it hasn't, then you can always rack on to some, uh, you know, pumpkin juice that you make. Just, you know, take, uh, you can use, you know, candied yams, a little bit of pumpkin, uh put those in a slow cooker on low and let them go overnight and decant the juice into there in a concentrated flavor, and that will help bring it up.
0: Good idea. Good idea. Okay. So I'm not looking for a miracle yet, then.
1: Well, no, a miracle. yet. Nice. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> one of the, right.
0: You know, it's just one of these, I mean, I go through this, and this is part of my daily routine. I mean, I get up in the morning, and I've got my little notes uh, on my desk, uh, and this is what I do. So uh, you know, one of them is to work on this pumpkin mead. And I daily it gets stirred, the pH gets checked, uh, uh, the whole nine yards. And of course, you know, a little bit, uh, about a quarter of a cup or so goes into a little glass, and I drink it. And mm-hmm. I I try to study it, and I'm I'm looking for flavors and. Uh, you know, it just started taking on this tartness after uh, I almost freaked out because the pH went like out of whack, and I kept putting this tartaric and the malic acid in, and I'm thinking, boy, this is tasting more like pumpkin lemonade now. So uh, yeah. you know, maybe that's going to go away in time, and I certainly, uh, I certainly am not looking to drink this next month. Okay, I fully expected to say. Uh, sit and age. Uh, kind of looking forward to a glass with Thanksgiving dinner next year. So, um, so I, you know, I, by this discussion, uh, guys, I, you know, I, I think I'm safe here, right?
5: <laughs> Aj. Yeah, and also you can, you know, the the tartness can be can be mitigated too by adding some, you know, uh, potassium bicarbonate to take some of the edge off of that tartness to mellow it down a little bit. At this point, with the cider, with the uh, honey, uh, with the alcohol, and with the other esters, you know, post-fermentation that are still kind of blooming, um, that will help to mitigate it and uh, make it less tart and kind of bring up some of that flavor. It'll still stay bright, but it won't be bitey bright. Yeah. Um, this is what I call, you know, when I'm when I'm judging. It can generally tell when people have been a little. A little bit too heavy-handed with—I won't say a little bit—I'll just say obvious—with the acid additions. It it kind of feels like somebody's got like a million little pins and they're sticking your tongue with them.
0: And not uh, quite that, yeah, not quite that bad yet,
5: yeah, yeah. And that's the, the; those are what I call palate wrenchers. It's just like it hits your tongue and you know the inside of your mouth, and I'm ruined for about you know five minutes after that. I have to get up and walk around and take some water and. You know, find some milk or something like that to calm that down because that really, really does a number on on my palate. And I'm, nice. I love acidic stuff. I mean, if I'm going to drink a red wine, it's going to be a big acid bomb. If I'm going to drink a white wine, um, it's going to be you know Chablis or give or something like that. It's got some spice and some character to it, plenty of bracing acid and lots of mineral. Yeah. And uh, but I like the stuff. But uh, with the additions, it's a little different because that's a that's a chemical that you're adding. No, not really a chemical. It's just you know condensed acid, but uh, you know still it has an effect that's different than just the the ambient uh, acidity you get from the fruit, from the honey, from the additions that you've made of of other ingredients that are you know a little more organic. Right. Um, and then you well, and
2: the the fermentation produces some acid too, right?
5: Yep. Yep. Acid and uh, uh, sulfite. So mm. that's why you have to be very careful when you're picking certain certain types of yeast. If you're making Chardonnay or even a red wine that you're planning on putting through malolactic fermentation, if they produce high amounts of sulfide, over 30 parts per million, up to 50 parts per million, there's even some uh, cooked around yeast that produce up to 225 million parts per, yeast, uh, parts per million Excuse me of uh, sulfide. Uh, you're not going to be able to do MLF at that point. So have to be, you know, aware of, you know, the yeast itself, whether it's, you know, whether it has high nutrient needs or not, and if it's not getting its nutrient needs, what kind of, what level of sulfite it produces and uh, that will kind of dictate whether or not you should actually use that yeast.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so uh, no miracles needed at this point. Uh, I'm glad of that. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are listening and following along with this pumpkin project, uh, I'm, I'm putting all my notes, uh, my daily notes on the, uh, there's a blog. Uh, if you go to the gotme.com forum and click on blog up now, now correct me if I'm wrong. Does everybody have access to that, Vicki?
1: Everybody can see it. Only patrons can have one.
0: Okay. So, uh, but I mean, everybody can see it. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. So, yeah, yeah, pretty, on, pretty
1: sure everybody can see it. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I think it's entitled JD's pumpkin project as heard on got Mead live. So, I mean, if you're curious as to, you know, what's going on with this pumpkin uh, project and it, it is just that it's just a project, uh, something that I, that I wanted to do, make it a part of the show community wide type of thing. And feel free to leave comments, uh, uh you know uh on the blog i believe you can uh comment on it there on the blog and uh you know i just uh wanted to see where this thing was going to go and i fully intend on going back to my traditional in fact i'm just um you know putting my plans together for my next traditional doing some thinking some reading about different geese and whatnot so uh i'm out
1: Pete, I think you should start calling him Grasshopper and make him write lay wa- rice paper <laughs> on the floor in front of his yeah. mead, uh, you know, projects. So that when he can, when he can walk across the rice paper and stir his mead and not drip and leave no footprints, then he will be a, you know, uh, um, then he will be then he will be closer to being I'm a master. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, when you Lynn can priest. there we go. <laughs> <laughs> when you can carve a jack-o'-lantern and have no gut on your hand you will have learned <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> honey on
0: honey off right <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, and okay. when you you know when you can pick up a five gallon bucket of meat or a five gallon bucket of honey with your teeth you know then... <laughs> yeah There
0: you uh, go. yeah just don't do the uh, I just won't get into doing that stork thing st- standing on a on the tree stump thing
1: but totally different thing so. totally different <laughs> completely different discipline yeah. you're messing it up yeah. so you're all just right Miyagi, man.
5: yeah now right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll
1: send uh, pete over there to slap you upside the head you know this
0: is how crazy it gets on got me live the later it gets in the show but uh, let's go ahead and move on into ask oscar
1: Oh, goody. Uh, i've got a question from hamish for him yeah this is, <laughs> this
0: is your this is your chance this is a real privilege to have uh, oscar on live so grab your phone 818-921-4680 we'll start stacking the calls up uh as they come in but uh vicky you said you had a
1: question from hamish Yeah, he was going to call in, but then his boss walked back into the office. (laughs) You know, he's like, damn. So um, he's proposing more of a he'd like your input ideas and opinion around. It's not so much a question as a this is what he understands things to be. And what are your thoughts? So just that being a preface to that. And, And he says, I've written it in a school English exam style. So I'll go ahead and read it out that way. Just because I think it reads kind of interesting as well, it says it is said that 71B cannot be left on the leaves due to off flavors from autolysis. Autolysis is not quote death of yeast unquote. It is defined as yeast digesting dead or dying cells. Michael Fairbrother of Moonlight Meadery says he leaves 71B on the leaves for months at a time with no issue. I have a hypothesis. Autolysis is the digestion of dead or dying yeast cells by other yeast cells. Autolysis would typically happen once the nutrients have run out, so the yeast are, yeast are also stressed. Now, when we feed appropriately, the yeast pass out happy with a full belly and drunk as a skunk. Um, English exam, <laughs> awesome, this is famous. how in Australia they do English exam questions, so I just say it. <laughs> Um, they don't need to eat the broken down 71 b cells in order to con- con- continue consuming sugars because either the sugar is gone or the alcohol is too high. Thus, this is not a modern problem, but a problem we're remembering from days gone by. And then he says discuss. So your thoughts?
5: Um, you're spending way too much time worrying about yeast hypothesis, <laughs> dude. Um,
0: Gosh, and I was, I was getting ready to get AJ and go to Australia.
1: Yeah, no, well, it'd he's so funny. He's like, I really, really wanted to have a question. So, you know.
5: <laughs> um, yeah, well, the thing is here that different yeast will react differently in different recipes. Um, I've, I've got a, a recipe that i made at the Cherry Sizer that uh, I left okay. on the gross leaves. Okay, this is like, of uh, uh, if I remember right, I used uh, D47 yeast in that one, and it sat on the gross leaves for a year with the problems. I've had other stuff that I've left on um, 7-1B, you know, for about four months, five months, and I started picking up the wrong kind of flavors and got off of it. It's really how you make the mead, and how the yeast reacts to the environment that you have it in. Sometimes you have to play around with it a little bit. Um, you know, in, in most cases, 71 d is a very vigorous fermenter and moves very quickly. But in musts that are higher in fructose than they are in glucose, because remember, most uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae um, um, yeast are glucophilic rather than fructophilic. They prefer glucose over fructose, and um, you will see in winemaking, and uh, I suspect in stalled fermentations and mead making as well, that there is a higher level of fructose uh, at the point where the um, the must stalls the fermentation uh, than there is glucose. And this has, you know, been published in a number of different papers, and there's actually a study that's been done on the different yeast and how they. Do in the presence of higher levels of fructose as opposed to higher levels of glucose. Uh, Luvafirm forty three uh, was the best performer. Seven one B was dead last in the field of about twenty. So it, uh, hmm. uh, but that's not the bottom line. Um, each honey is going to have different nutrients. Each honey is going to have different nitrogen and ash content and and mineralic content. So uh, yeasts. Aren't going to react the same in different kinds of honey, and that makes them somewhat unpredictable unless you have made the same recipe over and over and over, which, you know, throttling all the way back to the, to the beginning show where I'm talking about making the same mead over and over and over again, that's another aspect of it is not only getting your technique down and learning how to make mead so you can reproduce the results, it's getting to know the yeast and how it reacts with the particular type of honey you're using. 7-1-B is going to ferment differently in orange blossom and tupelo and mesquite. It's going to ferment differently in West Coast buckwheat and macadamia nut and avocado honey. You know, three light honeys, three dark honeys. How's it going to turn out? Who the hell knows? The only way to find out is to do it and then do it again and again and again and again until you know 7-1-B is appropriate for these three honeys as long as you don't leave it on the leaves. But if you leave it on the lees after about three or four months, guess what? It's going to taste terrible. Um, but with the darker honeys, you leave it on the lees, and guess what? It actually complements the type of honey that you're using and the astringency that comes with that dark honey, and it kind of plays together and works out really well. So the only way to really know that, Hamish, is to sit down, um, get yourself some different honeys, and try different yeasts. If you're hell-bent on using 7-1-B, go for it. Um, I don't really want to work that much. <laughs> I'm going to go with something like D254 or D47 or CY3079. Uh, even K1B is good for that. But, uh, you know, 7-1B is a great fermenter. I, I don't prefer it on Lee's, but I don't know the recipe that you're referring to. I don't know the chemistry of it. I don't know how it's being applied. I don't know what kind of honey. I don't know how long it's being aged. I don't know how it's being adjusted or what other additions there are to it. So. To be able to say it's this, 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 or this is, you know, I'd just be guessing, and I try not to do that. If you want me to speculate, I'd say he's probably got a combination of honey and other ingredients in there that work well with that particular yeast on the leaves. Um, If it's just straight-up honey sitting on the leaves in that recipe, I'd be kind of doubtful that after five, six, seven months, um, it's, it's not going to leave some kind of an impression on it. But if it does, hey, more power to them. But, you know, that's not something that we can sit and kind of like puzzle out uh, chemically without knowing all of the ingredients and all of the environment and, and, you know, uh, all of the different aspects of what's going into that meat and why it works.
4: Wow.
1: All right. Hamish came back and said... So, autolysis is still a modern issue, then? And he said he's answering the standard statement of seven one B
5: is bad for girls. I don't, I don't get yeah. what he's. I don't get what he's saying about modern issue.
1: Well, I, basically, I he that. says that he hears a lot of people claiming that this is a fact, but he's not so sure. So he was wondering what you thought.
5: Autolysis is a fact. That's inarguable. <laughs> and I don't know. You know, I don't. I. I honestly don't know what to say to that. It's it's kind of like a huh. I
2: think he was theorizing. Go
5: ahead. I think
2: I think he was theorizing that it's less of a problem now that we've got um, uh, nutrients and that we understand fermentation a little bit better. I think that was the point.
5: Oh, is it less of an issue now? Yeah. But personally, um, I, yeah, I, I, mean, I broke
2: up with 7-1B after it ruined one batch too many because I left it on the lease because I'm lazy. are
5: right. And, and that's been my experience, too. You know, there's times when you just kind of look at it, you know, day after day and go like, Man, do I really want to do anything to this? Yeah. And, well, in
2: uh, my case, it's more like it I've got to do this and this and this before I can get to that. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah mine, mine is more yeah, like crap. Right, so that it, needed racked a week ago, and I haven't had a chance to do it, you know, kind of mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I need to rack yeah. this, but the i am going to put it into still full crap. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm washing bottles. Yeah,
5: exactly. So hey, yeah, man. so is a is always going to be an issue, and the off flavors that is produces is going to be an issue, whether it's uh, whether people want to look at it and go, hey, this is a historical issue or a modern issue. You know, that's an argument I'm not going to get into because I don't know. Uh, yeast autolyze, there's the auto- autolysis of yeast. And that's that's a chemical fact. That's a yeast fact, and that part of it's inarguable. Now, the degree of influence it has on the flavor or off flavor of the mead that you're producing, you know, uh, there are environmental uh, and uh, ingredient issues that will mitigate or magnify it. That that would be my position on ontolysis.
3: So,
0: Hamish, Pete's phone number is 1310.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because Pete's got so much free time. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Um, Here, talk to Ralph. I'll be busy for a while. <laughs> um, well, I,
0: I did come with a list of questions, just in case.
5: Of course you did. Uh, <laughs> well... Eight, eight, one, Vicky, eight, do you, nine, you ever read the do you ever read the mail that I send you before the show?
1: Uh, uh yeah, I usually do. Did you send me mail before the show today? I didn't see any. Of
5: course.
1: You did? <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, of I course. see a new I see one new submission.
5: And... Uh give us
0: a call if you got a question, eight one eight-nine two one four six eight zero. This is a unique opportunity ask oscar here with us live so uh, take advantage of that while you can but what did you get uh what did oh, you, get there it from, is. Uh, what'd you get from uh
1: okay i've got it right here um yeah sorry i was buried uh, neck deep in some other non meat related things all day so um okay somebody sent in a question uh dan r on the got meat forum dan rosenberg hi dan um, and he says, "I just listened to last week's podcast, in which there was a discussion of competition entries, and in which JD mentioned he was making Pete's recipe for an oaked orange blossom mead. It made me wonder what the etiquette is regarding submitting a mead made with someone else's recipe. For example, would it be okay for JD to submit his mead to the Mazer Cup? If so, is a, uh, is a way that cre- is there a way that credit should be given to the Mazer who developed the recipe?" Um that the, the sentence isn't written but Basically, should should you give credit to the person who developed the recipe?
0: Is this like ESP or what? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this yeah. is I you know what? I got basically instructions from Pete to send this thing into the mazer cup. <laughs> and I roll back and I said no, and one
1: bucks Pete at their peril, this, so you This know. is
0: this is not my meat this is your recipe. And I think he was quite taken aback by that because he immediately came back and says no it's your it's your deal different honey this that and the other thing but uh yeah I mean I feel the same way so go ahead
5: yeah it's you know that's the thing that's uh, when you have a collection of recipes out there in the patron section and, and even in the public section people are going to read that and go hey that sounds pretty cool I got to I got to try that and. Even if you make the recipe the exact same way, it's in a different place, in a different container by a different mead maker, sometimes with a different yeast, different, uh, you know, uh, fermentation management, um, all of the different levels of that. And that's just at the ingredient level. And We're not talking about, you know, the the skill level or the, you know, if, if they have the technique down or not. And so when people are inspired to try a recipe because it looks interesting and it may have won an award or something like that, that, and that's the whole idea of sharing recipes. It's to inspire other people to do to do great things uh, by improvising on, modifying of, or taking a recipe and turning it on its head and trying something different with it and to me there's no greater compliment than somebody going out take one of my recipes and says hell that looks great let me give that a try and then they come up with something that kicks its ass that makes me feel even better because it's a solid base recipe and somebody had the wherewithal to go out and take hold of it and run with it and and take it to the next level to me that's what mead making is all about Vicky mm-hmm. asked me a long time ago she goes what about you know what about this what about the way that you make mead what do you want what's the ultimate goal of you making mead and sharing all this and I go the ultimate goal for me is get everybody making mead the same way I do or better than I do so I don't have to make it anymore and they just send it to me once you know
1: <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then get to sit cool. around and drink it you know I mean that's
5: exactly and I don't have to make it anymore I just sit around and enjoy the fruits of my labor somehow party pizza
0: house this weekend
1: yeah. Somehow <laughs> even if, if that ever happened, I just can't quite see you sitting back on your laurels and just drinking me and not making anymore, but that's just me. You know.
0: That was, oh, but, but, uh yeah. that was pretty much the response I got back from Pete in a nutshell and and it, it kinda eased my mind because I had the same quandary uh thinking that dude this this is your this is yours. This is something you were you know, took pride in admitted yeah,
1: When, when, when another mead maker takes a recipe that um, somebody else put out there for the edification and interest of fellow mead makers like Pete, like you, like me, like AJ, you know, um, we're putting it out there in the hopes that others will find it interesting and maybe make it and stuff like that. And that's cool. That's spreading the love. Now, if somebody came along, joined as a patron, took Pete's cherry sizer recipe and suddenly we see it being sold by a large metery, That not so much, you know. I mean, that's a different thing because yeah, then would, you want to be, yeah, you want to be taking that back to the person who invented that recipe and say, "Hey, get permission at the very least." You know, I mean,
2: yeah. But well, how many degrees of difference do you have to get before it's exactly. not the recipe anymore? I mean, but I, that, I got a friend who works point, in patents, and it, it's amazing just how close you can come without infringing.
1: Yeah, and true,
2: very true. Yeah, exactly. But I,
1: In the, yeah, I mean, there, you know, the legalities of it, yeah, you're right. But I believe just from a common courtesy and fellow mead maker about town, yada, yada, yada. Personally, I couldn't sleep at night if I hadn't gotten in touch with that person and say, hey, I love, Pete, what you've done with this cherry sizer. I think it's effing amazing. And I would really love. To have this be a publicly made mead at my meadery, what are your thoughts? You know, and at least get the feedback and input of that person rather than just snake it and have it turn up somewhere and have them get slapped in the face with it. This well, is me.
5: So, yeah, I think I think that's a good I think that's a good approach, and you can put down, you know. And I I've worked with uh, with a, a couple of breweries, and we've done stuff that are kind of knockoffs of things that we've done, and they've been very good about you know you know on either on the label or, you know, when it's when it's poured for the first time in the tap room, uh, giving some credit to, you know, the the kind of influence that I had on it. And yeah. uh, I think the thing that mead makers have to realize is that, you know, people are going to draw um inspiration from everywhere and anywhere at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that that's gonna happen naturally and I think it's a I think it is a common courtesy to go ahead and acknowledge that whether it's a commercial mead or a homemade mead, yeah. if it's somebody that's a commercial mead, that's going to be selling it and making a profit on it and just steals it outright and lies through their teeth and says that they didn't, you know, get this recipe from somewhere else when it's obviously a complete knockoff of it. And that's that has thing, happened. It's another yeah. Thing. Yeah. And, and we've, we've seen that happen here and there. Um, yeah. but you know, honestly it's, it's out in the public eye. So, you know, just be out there, be happy that it influenced somebody, and be happy that it's uh, going out there and to commercial meat makers that are out there and getting influenced by it. I'd say, hey, uh, give the folks that uh, the recipe you saw that it came from, give them a nod and and move on. I think they'll be happy to get the nod. You'll be happy with uh, the response of the public to your product, and everybody will be really happy uh, in the in the long run.
1: Yeah, uh,
5: the community. They, they... But I don't think there's. A...
1: There, Dan, you started you started a lively discussion. Thank you for yeah. asking the question. There's,
0: um, a, there's a sense of community out there too within the community because I'm going to take you back to I, I don't rem- it wasn't last it might have been the week before two weeks ago on the show I ran across the post in the forum about somebody asking how a uh, you know what they thought the ingredients were in this mead made by Michael Fairbrother mm-hmm. at Moonlight Meadery. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it wasn't long. Michael came right back and said, so "This is what's in it." <laughs> yeah, basically told him how to. This is it. This is how, This is what's in it. Uh, and I thought that was, uh, uh, you know, very kind of him. So
1: Michael uh, is very involved in the community, and that's something that's, you know, he's yeah, he he's like you know the rest of us that. Are out there trying to see this move forward. That he wants to see mead become the common thing. So it's you know, and I think it's really cool he does that. Not a lot of uh, professional beverage uh, makers will do that. Yeah. Beer, mead, cider,
2: whatever. You know. Yeah, that was pretty friggin' awesome. That re- that really yeah, it was. Really, it really was. Yeah.
5: But uh, Dan, or, see, uh, that's, Dan, that's the whole thing. You can. It's it's like a take home test. If you don't know the subject matter. Um, Having all the books around you isn't going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. But getting an idea from somebody who's done some things and you have a good grasp of what it is you're working with and Michael coming back with the ingredient list, it still doesn't put him at risk because it's great because the mead maker is going to go, oh, that's what I was missing. And they they have their own version of it and they love it. It's Mm -hmm. great publicity for him. It's great for the mead community. And and it, it, it inspires everybody to do bigger and better things with mead. Yeah and you know, I really gotta compliment Michael for coming back and doing that. That's a great thing. And yeah. I wish it was I wish it were more commonplace in the meat industry. There mm-hmm. seems to be this little, you know, crouching over the table and wrapping your arms around things.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, for, for everything yeah. from recipes to production levels, it's crazy. I don't know why it's like that. But I think it's also changing. Well that's you know? because,
5: because it's small and people people aren't seeing you know, past the, hey, I'm trying to make a profit here, and I'm trying to keep in business, which is totally understandable. But at the same time, there has to be a point where you take a step back and say, yeah, you know what, we need to get all this kind of stuff together and out there so that other people who are starting up can be successful too. You know, craft beer has been that way. You know, even Mm -hmm. the big beer makers when they were starting out were that way. Wineries are that way. Hell, the winery is probably wine is probably one of the most incestuous product production kind of uh, uh, businesses there are. I mean, everybody is using everybody else's juice in these things. Yeah. So at some point, the meat industry is going to get to that level, and when they can, and when they can see past, you know, making the house payment and and keeping the doors open on the meat Yeah. And I think we'll get there. I think we're I think we're turning in that direction now,
1: mm-hmm. and,
5: and certainly participation from Michael. And, uh, some of the other, you know, big meteries out there, uh, Bee Nectar, um, and the people that are great, gaining ground and becoming more and more popular, uh, Shrams Mead and long established guys like Mike Fall and Sky River and, yeah. uh, international guys, uh, Monroe and Intermeal, they're all contributing to that. And, uh, as the community draws more and more close over the course of the globe, uh, I think we're going to see more and more people being more and more open with their you know everything from you know uh, formulation to you know production
1: yeah well and that that pulling together is what really helped the craft beer industry launch itself as well as it did so i think that you're right i think we're coming to a place where we're going to be that way too it's just taking us a little while you know But I think we'll get there. Um, Dan Rosenberg, because you sparked a a conversation that wandered all over everywhere. In answer to your question, um, if you uh, have a mead that you like to enter in the Mazer Cup or any other mead competition, and it's based on somebody else's recipe, certainly, if you wish, you can let that person know that you're um, doing a variation on it and thank them for a great recipe. But it is not necessary for you to mention that in the competition
5: notes. Yeah, and if you want to, just put you know, this is my version of Oscars. You know, you know, four dead cats and a, a cup of uh, goat cheese.
1: <laughs> I wondered what yeah,
0: that me. off flavor
1: was in that last. One. Oh my god! <laughs>
0: well, at least inspired by. I mean, that's what's going to be on my label when I submit yeah. my.
1: Well, uh, I think that's great. It's an homage to uh, you know to the things that are good. I mean, it's the same as people who do the knockoffs and the you look at all the beer books that are out there.
2: You know, here's how to make. And Wayne B's variation on Ken's
1: beer. uh, Well,
0: you know, for that reason, that's why I don't brew beer at home because I already know somebody else is making it. So I don't need to be, you know, trying to duplicate what somebody else is already expected, you know.
5: Yeah, and you know other things too, like uh, a clever name of the, the the mead that you're making. For instance, Ken in his book The Complete Mead Maker had one that caught my eye. It was called Paul's Bounty Sizer. Yeah, and I love so that And so I one. named mine. I named mine Mutiny on the Bounty. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> someone else you know, made one, one that Ken's was based on bounty. yours and called it something else and t- uh, called it
1: something mutiny
5: similar to Mutiny on the Bounty. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. maybe yeah. or
2: something maybe. Yeah.
1: I think well, that's really great. It's like naming dogs, things like you know that I mean? tickle me. You, you, yeah, you pull the, <laughs> yeah. you, you keep that thread going, so that there's a commonality there. Um, well, Chris from Mississippi is doing uh, what he calls his poor man's heart of darkness. You know, there you
2: go. You know, yeah, and so I haven't we, faced uh, it yet. But I did um, the uh, what was it? Chai of my, what was it? Apple of my chai. Someone came up with that one. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah that's a good I tried that. I tried that recipe, and uh, as soon as I get around to digging it out of the back of the closet and tasting it, I'll let you know.
0: Yeah, you know, I do. If we had uh, the H- if, if we had God call it the H-U-D approach to HOD. <laughs> if we had God Mead Live t-shirts made up, we could probably offer one as a prize of whoever came up with the best name for a label.
1: Is that a hint? <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> subtle hint. Uh, I'll,
1: I'll but, put that. Uh, I'll put that on the list, right? You know, put that
0: on the yeah the budget. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So yeah, uh, that's actually something. One of the things that I'm planning on getting is uh, buying a large box of honey flavor wheels to uh, sell on got mead. So uh, yeah, I'd like to. I would love to do some T-shirts. One of the things that's been holding it back is before I was doing it on Cafe Press, and as most people are aware, Cafe Press shirts are kind of cheap and crappy. So um, I've been looking for. There's no real reliable or high quality way of doing on demand printing. So what I'm looking to do is uh, pull together enough budget money to actually have shirts made and sell them right out of here. So, um, You know that's that's definitely something that's on the list, but it's a it's a funding thing that I've got to rectify first. So
0: Kickstarter, here we come. Yeah, I thought about
1: that. (laughs) Don't think I didn't think about that. Actually, there's like a there's like a Kickstarter shirt thing where you can go in and say, "Here's this way cool shoe shirt we made. If you want one, order it now." And when we hit X shirts, everybody gets one. You know, it's it's like a it's like Kickstarter, but for shirts. It's kind of cool. Hey, I've seen
0: Stranger Things on Kickstarter programs uh, for sure, but uh, absolutely yeah. a thought. But, uh, I thought uh, yeah,
1: so- I—I thought about it, but I—I'd uh, need to before I would feel comfortable doing that, knowing that I was making the best use of the donations that people might give us. I would have to have a really firm plan on what I wanted to do going forward so they could see the benefits of their investments. Um,
0: uh, we've got Chris on the line from Mississippi, and I'm sure he's got a burning question for Oscar, something along the lines of uh, if he has a good barbecue sauce recipe. How you doing?
4: <laughs> you really want some of my barbecue, don't you, J.D.? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah.
1: He doesn't know what he's asking at- for. Chris, he doesn't know what he's asking for. This is Southern barbecue. They think barbecue this is something... Stuff. Yeah, well, and they think barbecue is what you do, not what you
5: eat. No,
4: yeah. versus- oh, well, no, no, no. It's, it's, all of, it's all of the above. It's a lifestyle.
1: Uh-huh.
4: And, uh, yeah,
5: but they think you, know, you go dangerous. out
4: and
1: barbecue ribs, not eat barbecued ribs. You know, they don't get it. But with all,
4: with all my meat equipment, everything I do is vinegar-based, so I have to be careful.
1: <laughs>
0: That's perfect. I love vinegar. Even your
4: meat? <laughs> no no my barbecue <laughs> yeah they,
1: they like their vinegar the southeast has a lot I just of wanted, vinegar
4: uh you you mentioned my poor man's heart of darkness i just wanted to go ahead and make it official it is going to be called the heart murmur
0: <laughs> ah,
1: perfect. that's great that's perfect
0: send him a tea And tea. it
4: is <laughs> And it fits along with everything you've been talking about. It's got. It was made with seventy-one B, and it was stolen from somebody else, and and the whole nine yards. And it's got a lot of tartness to it, so uh, it'll be in the Mazer Cup for sure. Right on. You know right when on, when, bro, uh, just,
0: The wife and I are heading out to North Carolina probably sometime next April or May. I just might stop over in Mississippi <laughs> on the way. <laughs>
4: Let me know and we'll put a hog in the ground. There you go. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I didn't. Didn't have a question. I just wanted to make it make the uh, title official and check in because I wouldn't feel right if I didn't call in it, if it, I it, missed the week. It,
1: it, it wouldn't be a show without you, Chris. You know, we're just yeah. going to have to start getting you on for your own bit in the show. You know? Well, I don't want to. You know, I'm worried
4: about the fame because, you know, you get overnight fame. And next thing you know, you're in the Enquirer and you're having plastic surgery and a sex Shaving change. Your and, head. And, we're yeah, only and then you're living that. with living with yeah. porn stars. and
1: That's only TV.
5: Uh, <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong yeah. with porn stars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah, it's that California thing. You know how crazy they are out
5: there. <laughs> yeah,
4: but you know, it just never turns out well. So I'm just keeping my fame down, a uh, manageable level. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I just know, wanted to say, know, to say know, hi to everybody. All right. Yeah, and uh, I got my uh, I got my uh, session mead recipe posted in the mead log that we mentioned last week. Uh, anybody wants to give it a try it's real light flavored but it's uh it's it's delicious so uh, it's a multi-berry right up to about three volumes and uh stole that one from kurt stock and uh kurt makes awesome beans yeah he he does some good ones yeah so uh anyway just wanted to say hello to everybody and uh I'll get the recipe for the heart murmur posted soon because it looks like it's going to be a success. I was holding off to see how it was going to taste. I didn't want to post a bad recipe, but another couple of weeks, I'll know for sure, and we'll get it posted up, and maybe everybody can make it
0: along with me. Awesome. cool, Sounds awesome. Thank there you. you go.
5: Go. appreciate the call, Chris. All right.
0: yeah, Good to take care. Me. You too. Chris from yep. uh, Mississippi, uh, calling in here, and you know he's right. I mean, it just wouldn't be a show without Chris calling. That's <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got another uh, Oscar-approved question here, um, <laughs> and this one's this one's from Bernard Smith, uh, who's also Bernard Smith on the forum. Hi, Bernard. Um, he says, "Is there a really good and proven method for developing an ability to identify the flavors and aromas in mead and wines?" That some yeasts produce peppery notes and some meads seem to contain banana or blackcurrant flavors, while certain honeys are known for their butter or nutty flavor, presumably requires folk to have developed a palate educated enough to ent- to identify flavors and aromas blind. If that is a skill, how do they master it? I think developing such a skill would improve my mead making.
5: Practice, practice, practice. Well, that was easy. Go out taste <laughs> Taste a bunch of wine, taste a bunch of mead, taste a bunch of honey, write your notes to yourself. Go on to the uh, Honey and Pollination Center website at the Robert Mondavi Institute on the UC Davis uh, campus. They have a honey aroma wheel. Get one of those. Grab yourself a bunch of different honeys and start tasting and start making notes. Yeah, Um, we're going to actually be selling
1: those on Got Mead soon. So uh, if you don't get it before we do, you'll get it too.
0: I um, um, you know, wh- one of the things that I do when I taste my mead, you know, I used to just, I, I used to just put some in a glass and drink it down, and I think, well, you know, if that if it tastes good, fine. If it doesn't, then pour it down the drain or give it to my neighbor. But you know, the more I get into this thing, I started working with Pete on this traditional thing that I'm and this is like the one that I'm really babying along. He really wanted to be successful. I started tasting my mead a little differently. I'm I'm thinking more about what's in it. And as I taste it, I'm thinking about the orange blossom honey. I'm thinking about, you know, the piece of oak that I dropped into it here a week and a half ago. Uh, You know, and I'm paying more attention to even the pumpkin, Uh, you know, uh, really thinking and putting some conscious thought into the ingredients that went into it thinking about what those flavors, what they represent, and what the mead tastes like in my mouth. And, I mean, that's why, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, who wasn't uh, uh, Bernard Smith? Uh, you know, I, I, am, I am not a wine connoisseur. I mean, I like good wines, but I'm not a wine connoisseur. I have no idea what a really good wine tastes like versus one that comes in a box, um, Pete. So you know, uh, but I do know what tastes good in my mouth. And uh, hey, you know, I mean, well, you ah, know, if ah, it ah. if it tastes good, it <laughs> tastes good. If it tastes bad, it tastes bad. I mean, it's, to me, it's that simple. But well, while and, it's, and while I'm tasting it, I'm thinking about what's in it.
1: One of the difficult, one of the probably, and at least for me, one of the most difficult things that I run into in this journey of learning how to discern flavors and, you know, figuring out what it is as well as whether or not it's desirable. Um, And I've been fortunate to have had excellent teachers. I've, you know, Pete has coached me. uh, My very first time judging, I was with, thank God, Ken Schramm, who's the most patient man on the planet. Pete would have Mm -hmm. thumped me on the head long before, you know, with all the stupid questions I was asking. But at any rate though, over the last 15 years, as I've been learning that, um, one of the hardest things for me to do is to force my like from what I taste because it's, that's, I mean, you know, I know what I like, you know, and, and okay. I like semi-sweet meads. I like melamels. I like methaglins, I like this or that flavor. Um, I don't like uh, prickly pear. I can't stand it. I don't like the kind of mead that it makes, but I have to judge it. So how do you, you know, it's so you've got to learn how to, how do you judge something that you don't even like? So you have to be able to sort of pull that out of the equation. And that's, to me, has been the most difficult part of this journey is to keep that at bay,
2: Yeah, you know. For kind of me, like- one of the things that I had to do, I wanted to make beer, but I didn't know what I liked or didn't like about beer because I'm kind of picky with beers. And so you can actually read it on Got Me um, on the forum. It's what, how do you figure out what you like in a beer? And it's a uh, rather long post now. Um, but... I had to learn how to taste critically even when there were things I didn't like I had I was trying to figure out what it was I didn't like and whether there were elements in there that I did or um, you know whether the whole thing was trash or whether you know if this was less bitter would I like the spicing that type of thing
5: Pete um, right. and I was
1: ahead. just gonna I was just going suggest that Pete talk a little bit about the sensory evaluation class you do at the maser cup
5: Oh, well, yeah, we do those uh, the night before we pop into the commercial competition. And basically, it's just kind of like a tune-up for the folks that are going to be judging or are interested in getting kind of like a brief primer into tasting and, and uh, you know, working working your sensory olfactory, your taste buds and everything else. So it's, it's basically just how to, you know, creep up on a glass of mead and how to— as much of it out as you can um you know without going over the top and you know diagramming out the the regions on the tongue that taste you know different flavors and and so on and so forth but basically um learning how to you know smell a wine you know there's different kind of aromas that you get from different proximities to the wine it's uh the wine uh, the mead reacts differently when you jostle it as opposed to swirling it uh you know, the color, how it coats the glass, how it feels in the glass. Is it light? Is it heavy? How it looks in the glass? Is it oily? Is it glyceric? Is it, is it, you know, thin and, and uh, a watery, you know, does it have body to it? Does it coat the glass well and start developing tears or legs very quickly? Um, what color is it? You know, is it, uh, is it a piment? Does it have the wine grape color to it? Is it a, a dark honey that has a deep amber color to it? Is it a, you know, a mystery mead, you don't know what it is, and it looks really weird, but it tastes really good. Um, uh, so it, it's really about uh, taking a step back and taking in all of the, the sensory inputs that you get, everywhere from, uh, you know, your sense of sight, your sense of smell, your sense of taste, your sense of feel, uh, temperature, uh, aroma is how it affects your mouth you know does it prickle in your mouth is it foamy is it smooth is it creamy does it taste like you know you know citrus or or earthy is it uh, uh is it uh, effervescent does it uh, does it run across the palate like silk or does it rasp across it like sandpaper does it make your teeth stick to your gums and your lips you know is it astringent uh, Is it hot? You know, is there a lot of alcohol in it? Does it burn the tip of your tongue and all the way through? Um, Those are the kind of things that you really need to be looking for. Um, All of the different aspects. Work it, you know, like mouthwash. You know, run it around all over inside your mouth. Pull some air over it and do it again. Uh, Tilt your head down and pull some air over it. Keep your head up and you pull air over it. You tend to choke yourself uh, because of the alcohol, the evaporative quality of alcohol. Hmm. Pulling that in, and uh, then little bits of that stuff going and hitting you in the back of the throat, and you're like, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, you don't want to be doing that too much. So
0: that sounds like the bottle of eighty proof. Yeah, of
5: so, yeah, I like that wild turkey one o one. Give me a little burn on <laughs> the way down. <laughs>
2: I use 151 for the Christmas rum balls. There you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: so um, our, uh, our question then uh, from, I've got it on the next question, which came in here, from Bernard. So Bernard, the way to do this is to do it, to taste honeys and notice the flavors. And like Pete said, get the honey wheel from UC Davis and um, use that to help you identify the flavors that you find in tasting these things go to competitions and volunteer to judge um the many of the competitions do this. yeah i can't say for sure which ones they'll do it but i know for a fact that we at the maser cup do it many of our judges basically come up through the ranks they start with uh pouring and serving at the competition and are often asked to sit at table and participate in the discussion so that they can learn to identify these flavors. And then those people will eventually become judges themselves. It's how I came into this. Um, and you get the opportunity to sit with people like Pete, with people like Ken Schramm and Kurt Stock. And I mean, there's some amazing judges out there and they're all really friendly and they're willing to help and they will help you learn how to figure out what this stuff is. So it's, you know, I mean, it's just basically something that you can do is there like a you know a mead tasting class? Not really, not yet. We're working on that, but you know it's something that you can do. Just go find a local competition and get involved.
2: I right. also found um, and the other tasting that wine while is- reading the reviews helped as well. Then you start yeah. looking for the flavors that they think they you- think they found.
5: Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of people. I mean, if, uh, the quickest way is to go up onto, you know, uh, rate beer or beer, you know, whatever beer rating guide you like to read. Um, go out and find a beer that you like. Sit down and uh, read the read the comments that people put in as they're rating the beer. You know, citrusy, piney, resiny, you know, centennial, cascade, you know, all the different kind of hops that are in it and the kind of flavors they give it, the different malts, the... You know, the astringency or the breadiness of it, the graininess of it, the, the roastiness and toastiness of it. Um, read those and start identifying those flavors. And if you can taste them, great. Mark that down. And if you can't taste them, try different things. You know, take just a small bit into your mouth and, you know, blow a lot of air over it as you inhale. Uh, see if you get that. Wash it around in your mouth and blow out. See if you get the different flavors. Breathe through your nose. Breathe through your mouth. You know, put your tongue in different places in your mouth when you're breathing in and breathing out. Um, all of that has an effect on your sensory perception of taste and and you know how you perceive different flavors. So you know, don't be don't be intimidated by making yourself look dumb by making weird faces and noises. Trust me, you have all these people that are working for um, uh, as buyers, wine buyers, and wine uh, you know. Um, Searches for different grocery chains and all that, you get 20, 30 of these guys in a room, they're all making weird noises and, and sloshing the wine around and everything, you know, everything from, you know, like animal grunts to, you know, like, you know, high-pitched nasally sounds. Um, you'll see that a lot. So people have their own method that they use, and it, it's right for them. It's right for their mouth and their tongue and their, you know, how, how their palate works. And so you just have to kind of develop those over the course of the years for yourself
0: outstanding well uh ladies uh i think we've come to that point we do this all the time i know you know and, you know, and here's the deal this you know we, we started out uh, you know the intent was for a two-hour show but i just resigned myself to the fact that this is actually a three and a half hour show we're just ending early tonight so mm, yeah
1: <laughs> Well, and that's what made me laugh when you first proposed the show and you're like, and we can do this for an hour. And I'm going, ah, yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah, we won't be done the <laughs> intro by then. Um,
5: yeah, yeah.
1: that's just, I knew from the get-go yeah. that they're but I figured, fine, I'll let him retain his illusions until they were shattered bodily by the – Hey, the I'm having a blast.
0: With... Uh, I mean, this, this is so much fun. I really enjoy this. Um, you know, and the nice thing about it is folks out there listening, I know some of you have already gone to bed, but you'll catch it on the Rewind – uh, you know, you can catch the show anytime you want Because it's uh, always held at SoundCloud Of course it's featured on the GotMe.com website I mean Stitcher I mean, It's out there So if you just go to Google Look for it Stop by gotmead.com first And see it there you Usually have a 20 I've been pretty good here lately uh, Usually have about a 24 hour turnaround Or less even sometimes uh, So uh, absolutely check the, uh, the show out uh, Got mead live gotmead.com. just click on the radio page vicky's got them all piled up in there uh just pick one and, and uh and listen to it and if you get the soundcloud app hey you can take us with you and listen to the replays as well so um gosh big thanks to, uh, yeah or part of it <laughs> yeah uh big thanks to uh brian de tonight and i from uh, 810 mead in medina uh, new york and uh, once again let's do a plug for them a 10 mead works a small meadery in medina new york has some big flavors they'd like you to try 21 bean salute offers the uh the aroma of a rich earthy cold brew coffee with the sweetness of honey and creamy vanilla and of course liquid sunshine you heard brian talk about both of them tonight a carbonated lemon lavender mead made with wildflower honey and green tea. For more information about their tasting room and their mead list, you got to visit them at 810meadworks.com today. And uh, really, check uh, Brian and uh, I think his wife's name is Larissa. Uh, check them out there at uh, 810meadworks.com. Um,
5: What's and the eight, name of that city that they're in? Medina. Medina,
1: M-E-D-I-N-A.
5: It's I just love the from- sound of that word. Nice. <laughs> 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 That's you another are bad, show. Bad,
1: bad boy, but I've told you
0: that. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, usually when we end the show here tonight, uh, usually I usually kind of pick something out. I cruise through the forums and, and now the, the various mead groups uh, and whatnot. And I found something today. And, uh, you know, this is, um, this kind of makes me feel good about my the traditional that I've got going. This comes from Brian Butler from Mead Makers Group on F- on Facebook. I ran across this, uh, and he says, uh, just to be controversial, and I know some like to drink it early. Vicky likes to just hang the ladle in the bucket and do it that way. But for Excuse all of me? You, for, <laughs> for, for all of you who think uh, quick is best in mead, Uh, He's soon going to be emptying his port-style elderberry mead from its barrel and starting a new one. It's been barrel aging for six years. And uh, he doesn't usually praise himself on his own wines or meads, but he says this one is the best mead he has ever tasted. Complex, intense, rich, layered, incredible. It's about 19% alcohol. Sweet reminds him. Of a very, very good tawny port, but with plenty of honey character. And I can only hope for the same uh, with my, uh, my first traditional. I mean, I, I hope it's the best mead that I have ever tasted uh, coming up. Next week, Vicki, uh, Casey Stuck from Eagle's Landing.
1: Yeah. Um, Next week, this was supposed to be the week we were starting the meteries to be. uh, And I didn't realize it. I don't know why I was thinking because I know 810 is in business, but I didn't. It just didn't pick up for me when I signed him up. So next week, we start the uh, (laughs) meteries meteries to be series. And we're going to have five meteries in a row that are actually in the process of getting open. So it's gonna be really interesting because I want to look at you know what have they been doing what's working what's not working and kind of get to take a look at the inner workings of this process from a lot of different perspectives because these guys are all over the country so awesome. and then after that series after we take our next break which will be right around Thanksgiving time ish um, then uh, when we get back I want to do uh, I want to do oh uh, Canada the next series so mm-hmm
0: cool yeah outstanding so we can we can all just take a back seat and let aj yeah we'll
1: just let aj run things yeah it's like (laughs) we can just sit there and
2: watch right awesome well hey oh that'll uh, be a hoot eh yeah it sure will because i'm totally a dominant personality around here eh
1: (laughs) (laughs) time it's time you started hey when you
5: go out make sure you put the light eh Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) close the lights big thanks to uh, pete uh, ask oscar joining us here live for a uh, ask oscar ask oscar session uh that doesn't occur very often so uh thank you pete for uh showing up tonight live and uh looking forward to the next show uh gosh i just had something on the tip of my tongue but you know what uh tuesday's coming up next week we'll do it again mm-hmm. say goodnight, night vicky Good night, Vicki. Say good night, AJ. Good night, AJ. Pete, are you still with
2: us? Pete's
5: already gone to bed. Uh, Yeah,
1: I'm (laughs) right here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) He was uh, distracted. Yeah. All
0: right. Uh, We'll catch you next week. (laughs) (laughs) It's the ticket. (laughs) All right. What's he having? Nightmares now?
1: (laughs) No, no, no. It's just, you know. Right, Appropriate we'll... things on the internet, probably.
0: <laughs> we'll see everybody next week, Tuesday night, nine o'clock, right here live on GotMeLiveGotMe.com.
2: Night, y'all. Good night, there everyone. You go.